they are jam-packed with the Raptors here tonight. And Larry, we grow ever close to Starcade, ever close to the match of the decade, Hulk Hogan going up against Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Well, you know, Hulk Hogan, he had fear in his face, Tony. Fear in his face when he looked at Roddy Piper. And that count. What? We are being interrupted here. Look at this. By Eric Bischoff. Look at this guy right here. Ted DiBiazzi. Incredible. You know, I was in the middle of making a point. Wait a second here. Well, you're not going to make any point, apparently not. Hang on. Hello, how are you? What do you mean we're in your spot? Well, wait a minute. Look, I, I, let me tell you right now, you don't have enough men to make me leave here. You need the rest of your guys. Well, my problem, Mr. Bischoff, is I don't need a contract. Wait a minute, you hired us to do a job here. The NWO is here to stay, brother. Get used to it. The NWO is in the house, and we are taking over now. It's been a long time, Ted, but like I said, you're going to need more NWO guys. You're not enough. We're not enough. Not for me. We're not enough. We're not, we're not enough. See ya. How... How bad do you want to push that? Point? The living has been. Come on, we got a show to do, Larry. Vincent, escort him out of here. Hey, Larry. Nice working with you again. Thank you very much. Nicely done. All right. Welcome, everybody, to our show. I'm Eric Bischoff. Ted DiBiase, and we've got some exciting action on, what are these notes here, on this week's edition of NWO Monday Nitro. <laughs> and let's go back to last week. I want these people to Welcome to where the big boys play. <sighs> Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the Southern Front. Of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's only Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Well, I'm sitting in your basement now, and there's a there's a fire crackling behind you. Uh, you have a Christmas tree. Uh, the your puppy's staring at me too. <laughs> it's a very picturesque uh, look in the basement right now. D just in time because we're kind of in the around the Christmas season uh, in 1996 as well, um, as you were mentioning before we were starting recording. So it's very. What is the word the Mongo uses? Apropos. <laughs> it is apropos. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was pointing out to you before we started recording that we uh, it's it's December thirteenth right now. This episode takes place on December sixteenth, 
So assuming I can get it uh, all edited in the next three days, we could we could release it on its anniversary, uh, much like our original gimmick of our show that lasted yeah. for. Uh, we made it a while, from September to mid May. Yeah, it wasn't. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it was it was it was going to be a tough request for people to have regular adulting things to like oh, once God. a week. I didn't have kids when we started this show. <laughs> did I? Two thousand. Okay, I did, but. I had one kid. <laughs> now it, I've got two. It's easy to ignore one kid. You can't <laughs> ignore two, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, before we get into today's Nitro, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is December 16th, 1996. And we are coming to you live from the Civic Center in Pensacola, Florida. I don't know how many different Civic Centers they've been to. <laughs> it seems like I don't. Maybe it's just when they're coming, like putting the building like project together. It's yeah. like everyone could at least agree on Civic Center. Like no one's gonna get upset about that for a name. Well, I also think that you know it was maybe the '80s and '90s when corporate sponsorship started for stadiums. And I think it took a while for that to filter down. So, like, oh, sure. your huge corporations started f- doing the stadiums, and it took a while before, like, you had the Bojangles Arena or whatever, where it's, like, these, <laughs> right. like, local, you know, the local chicken chain <laughs> is sponsoring it and stuff like that. So right. I think that most of these places that are civic centers back then, if you look now, they'd be the, you know, the local bank arena or whatever the hell. <laughs> local bank arena? <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Uh, we are in front of 5,526 fans who paid a total gate of $67,951. This is the 66th episode of WCW Monday Nitro. To start things off, Tony Schiavone welcomes us to wrestling's number one television program and two hours of live Nitro right here on TNT, which Schiavone brags has become America's number one cable company. Uh, just as a, a brief note, it is now called the Pensacola Bay Center. There we go. So it's still just kind of based on the community. So ah, nice. A, n- a nice little exception there. They, I mean, they probably like lost sponsorship for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in our worldwide episode that'll come out about a week after this, where we kind of talk about the ratings and break everything down, I'll talk a lot more about, not a lot more, not, not more than you want to hear, but I'll talk more <laughs> about Tony's claim there that uh, TNT is the number one cable network. Uh, for right now, I'll just say it's true. Um, but we'll kind of break down sort of the, what the ratings were, what the other ones at the top, you know, mm-hmm. three or four were. We'll, we'll talk about that a little more. And this, I mean, I'm sure it's not like there's not a flat number where it's, you look at that and say, oh, that's the reason why. Because, you know, there's always like demographics and sure. like all these different like numbers that they look at that probably is like based on this. This is why we're the number one. Yeah, it's it's a com- combination of factors. Nitro is part of it, um, mm-hmm. but they also are airing NFL games at this time oh sure so that's a a huge part of it as well we see tony and larry at the broadcast desk which is odd because normally they sit at ringside and only the hour two guys are in the broadcast desk i should have known something was up at that point yeah it's definitely a big signal (laughs) that doings are transpiring (laughs) (laughs) because tony is barely through his introductions before the nwo music plays Something that takes, like, a comically long time for Larry to notice. I, I made a note of that, too. It's a very <laughs> slow reaction. He's and pretending even, not. He's pretending so hard that he can't hear it for some reason. Right, which is just absurd. There's <laughs> no reason why she, 
Because that's basically like like the one theme song he does not want to hear, and it's happening right away. <laughs> right. You would think that he would make a note of it. Out from the back walks Eric Bischoff, Teddy Biasi, and Vincent. They shake hands in the aisle for a second with the fans uh, doing their little glad-handing, like yeah. fake-bowing, obsequious bullshit. Oh, I love this fan. <laughs> look this... at the shirt. Just look at the shirt. <laughs> Eric's so smarmy. I love it. Oh, he's so... It's just like... It's so cheesy, but he's so good at it. R- yes. He's so good at it. Like, um, And you'll, you'll hear throughout the show, too. He'll be saying like, oh, can we get another shot of that fan with the NWO spray painted on his head? I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so good at this role. The NWO changes course and heads over to the broadcast desk. Now, of course, we can't hear exactly what Eric is saying because he doesn't have a mic, but you can kind of hear him through Tony's uh, uh, headset. Mm-hmm. And Tony says, what do you guys mean we're in your spot? Larry gets belligerent, saying that the NWO doesn't have enough guys to make him leave. They're going to need the rest of the NWO. Bischoff says something to Larry about his contract. And Larry says, well, Mr. Bischoff, I don't need my contract. <laughs> and Bischoff's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> I know your finances. You do need this job. Tony protests, but DiBiase gets a mic and says the NWO is here to stay, so they may as well get used to it, because tonight, they're taking over. Eric takes Tony's headset, and Shivani leaves, but Larry stands his ground. DiBiase just takes the headset off Larry's head, and Eric says, see ya, and Larry stands there for a few minutes, jawing at Vincent, but finally he leaves. He made himself look like such a fucking idiot and such a pussy. Don't you yeah. th- like because he, he makes this big thing like you're going to have to get all your guys. Mm-hmm. I don't care about money. I'm here for a fight. You're yeah. not going to make me move. And then they're like they just took his headset off his head and had Vincent, a guy who's never even had a match in WCW, right. who's never been an impressive wrestler. And Larry just goes like, OK, and slinks off. Yeah, I feel like it was more so of Larry going into business for himself because he's making a request that was like in the in the way they scripted it out, like there wasn't going to be anyone coming out. Right. So he's making requests that was just not going to be honored. So he wasn't really setting himself up to look very like there was, he was going in a direction that there was no end result for. Yeah. Yeah. He went into business for himself um, without thinking through the outcome of how that would, (laughs) what it would make him look like ultimately. Right. Because he knows (laughs) that he has to leave. He's not just going to stand out there. Like he's going to get in real trouble. Yeah. Like legitimately with his boss. Yeah. He has to slink off. If I felt like there was a moments where Ted DiBiase is looking at him like, what do you want me to say, pal? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and the same not with a the response co- for that. With the contract thing, I think you can't really hear what Bischoff says, but I think he's just like, oh, you need your contract. Yeah. He's like, what else is he going to improv? <laughs> right. He's like, well, sir, if you look at subsection 13, par- like, what is he supposed to say? There's nothing else you can do. You're you're mentioning improv. Like, Larry's the guy that's on the improv stage that is always saying no to things. Yes, yeah. He's <laughs> no but improv. <laughs> Eric welcomes everyone to our show. He calls this NWO Monday Nitro and shows a replay of his confrontation with Roddy Piper from last week. We don't really see much of the confrontation. We just see Piper calling out Hogan and Eric walking to the ring. Uh, The one thing that's kind of nice is that we do get an alternate angle of Eric walking to the ring. So this time we actually see the drink that soaked him so thoroughly. It struck me as kind of funny that Bischoff was doing like a running commentary, watching himself get soaked again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh but that, that was A-plus work by whoever that fan was. That's 100% accuracy. 
Bischoff and DiBiase talk shit about Piper, saying that he wears a skirt and that he was a coward to attack a man the moment his back was turned, especially a corporate guy, a non-wrestler like Eric. Bischoff says, Hollywood is in the house tonight, but Piper, where are you? As Psychosis makes his way to the ring to face Lord Steven Regal for the television title, Eric claims that Sting will be on the show tonight and that he is now NWO for life. Oh, that's a development. He claims that they thought they had Sting a few weeks ago, but it was just a minor (laughs) breakdown in communication. But it's all sorted out now. Sting is NWO, and he's going to take on Rick Steiner later tonight. As a viewer, are you expected to believe this? I'm very confused as to what... Okay, so I know know what Bischoff's saying, and I know what we see on the screen. Mm -hmm. What is the... if If this was real, what is really happening... Is he just lying and hoping that Sting is going to, like, quote, in his mind, do the right thing? Right. Or is he just, like, is he actually talking to Sting? Is he having secret discussions with Sting and then every week Sting comes out and breaks his word and just actually attacks the NWO? And Bischoff is like, oh, I thought we had it this time. Or I, I don't know what's really happening. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, I mean, there there's still a lot of people within WCW that are unsure of Sting. Right. And maybe they're saying like, listen, Sting, you know that NWO is on your side. So anytime you come over, you're more than welcome. In fact, I mean, this is such a, a perfect relation like a perfect pairing we're just gonna assume it's just a matter of formalities i i mean other than that or or just being like the straight up heel where he's just like i'm just gonna make people mad at this at the baby face yeah i make him think so it could just be like sting is a wild card right now we have no idea what he's gonna do Mm -hmm. but i can tell that it bothers wcw that they don't know what he's gonna do right so i'm just gonna muddy the waters i'm just gonna constantly try to confuse things i'm gonna have my own sting i'm gonna lie about what sting is doing i'm gonna say that we were talking when we weren't Mm -hmm. and it's it's all in service of messing with wcw and at the end of the day i can't control what sting actually does yeah but like half the time he seems to attack wcw guys anyway so i'm all for it now that we're kind of like talking this out that kind of makes more sense where he's like i just want to make wcw unsure about him at all times right so he says sting is here tonight and he is going to take on rick steiner later in the show all right (laughs) ted dibiase agrees with bischoff saying it just took a little while for sting to accept that the wcw has truly turned their back on him i just hope that means that uh we get rick steiner on the mic demanding that (laughs) sting come out sting sting where you at sting (laughs) out comes regal as dibiase and eric awkwardly switch to suddenly just trying to they just suddenly on a dime are like actual announcers Mm -hmm. there's like oh here's steven regal he was touring europe i bet that went pretty well for him (laughs) (laughs) it's like okay this is strange i i feel like for i mean for one thing they're putting themselves into this position where it's weird yeah but also i feel like they do the best they can by saying kind of acting like they're scouting yeah and by scouting, they're kind of into everyone, pretty much. Yeah, well, and as we've kind of talked about more in our worldwide and backstage stuff, there is a plan to have them do announce the first hour of Nitro every single week. Okay. So, like, they, they, it would be difficult to do that as full-on heels the entire time. Like, yeah. you're going to have to put people over at some point. Right. And this match doesn't have an NWO guy in it. So what are you going to do, just shit on both guys for 15 minutes why Mm -hmm. would the audience want to watch that yeah so they've got to come up with something you know and i feel like um because didn't they do the 
like Hall and Ash were there when they were having um, Regal versus Benoit. Yes. When they did like the far pan because of yep. the blood. Yep. And they indicated that they because they wanted Regal for anything. He has the television ch- title and right. they want to get all the belts. So I there's a little bit of continuity going on there where they've been interested in Regal. And also they've also they've admired his his general like toughness too and yeah. stuff like that. They feel like he has a lot of good qualities. I mean, certainly better qualities than like VK Wall Street. <laughs> right. You know? It's just like <laughs> when they, that that's the thing. If they put someone like VK Wall Street in, yeah. And if they look at uh people that might be a new member, they ask themselves are they better than VK Wall Street? Right. And the answer is always going to be yes. So they're <laughs> always going to be adding people after this. Eric reminds everyone that the clock is still ticking on WCW stars converting their contracts uh, by Christmas. Appearing like before it was 30 days. I don't think he said that 30 days before Christmas, but that's it's, the that's the deadline now. It's a ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're going to have to, quote, suffer the consequences. Oh, are they going to fire people on Christmas? Oh, that would, that would be good. <laughs> Eric says that they have a special surprise for everyone and offers some foreshadowing that wrestlers from around the world have been calling wanting to join the NWO. Mm. Regal jaws with the crowd a bit, and the two men lock up and jockey for position. Regal works a tight wrist lock and manipulates the arm, but Psychosis does some chain wrestling and gets Regal into an armbar. Regal eye-pokes his way out and arm drags the bigger man down. Regal keeps up the arm attacks, mixing in some strikes with various submission attempts. Eric and DiBiase, of course, are exclusively talking about NWO business, Piper, etc. And we go to break with Regal firmly in control and locked in on the left arm of Psychosis. Notably, uh, the bumper music as we go to commercial is the NWO music now instead of the Nitro theme. Nice little production touch. We come back, and Regal is throwing some European uppercuts and is positively drenched in sweat. <laughs> yes, I did notice that. He rolls up Psychosis for two, but after, Psychosis manages to wrench Regal's arm, and Regal falls to the mat in pain. It's just, it's remarkable how quickly that guy is just... <laughs> He's dr- pouring because, sweat. And it's like, it, it feels so sudden because we don't have the commercial break. Yes. So like a split second later, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. are we missing scenes from the show? Like what's happened? <laughs> Psychosis works a side headlock and then comes off the ropes with a spinning heel kick that the hot crowd pops for. He hits a second sloppier kick and Regal rolls the outside. Psychosis sails over the top rope with a plancha, and both men are down on the outside with a member of the production team desperately trying to move a camera cable out of their way. <laughs> this guy is like, his job is to move the camera cam- uh, the camera cable, and like he just doesn't think, you know what, it's fine, I should just get out of the shot. Mm-hmm. He's just like, this camera cable, that's my job. So the most important thing in the world right now is that I move that cable. Right. Damned if it makes any sense that I'm just in the middle of these guys flailing it around or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile on commentary, Bischoff is saying that Piper must have known that last Monday, Hogan was in L.A. having meetings with Steven Spielberg. Eric addressed Piper, suggesting that maybe he's hiding out in the building, and DiBiase says that a few people have seen him. He is not here. This is carny bullshit. This is just meant to make you think that Piper might show up on the show later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both men are now back in the ring where Psychosis executes a nice top rope sunset flip for two. The crowd reaction is again huge. 
Psychosis goes to a corner and does the edge, like, get up motion that edge always would do for the spear. Yeah. It was interesting. You don't see that, like, a palm up kind of thing a lot. So it was it was fun seeing someone else do that. So you're saying edge. that edge blatantly stole it. From Psychosis, yes. yes. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. Regal finally gets to his feet and eats a drop kick for his trouble as the fire explodes behind me. I feel like it was a good thing we mentioned that there's a fire because yes. it's probably going to get picked up. Yeah, I hope people feel like they're... That we're all spooning in front of the fire. We're all cozied up with (laughs) some hot chocolate. Listener, I want you to imagine you're on a blanket in front of a fire. Me and Dave are spooning you from either side. And also (laughs) sweaty Steven Regal is there. Oh, God. (laughs) And Psychosis, (laughs) who is wearing a white outfit, but it looks like it's been washed many times. It's filthy. (laughs) It has been washed many times, but not recently. (laughs) No. Yeah, I noticed that, too. It's disgusting. Not very well, either. Psychosis hits a top rope Herkarana that almost paralyzes him for life for a two count. <laughs> Inside, Cradle gets Psychosis another two. A scoop slam sets Psychosis up to hit the guillotine leg drop for yet another two. I think it it should always be pointed out when we watch or witness a Psychosis match that we saw him in person yeah. relatively recently, and I was just marveled at how well he still moves around. Yeah. Because I thought he would be a guy that would just be like, can barely stand up anymore. Yeah, and he, he's he's a big, solid dude, too. Yeah, and the way that he just recklessly throws his body around, and I there's no indication he ever, like, slowed down at any yeah. point. So. Yeah, I would, I'd like to see what his matches look like now. Hopefully he's somewhat sensible. But, yeah, he it definitely there's a lot of guys uh, who are younger than him who don't move nearly as well, just kind of walking around yeah, day yep. to day. Back on their feet, Regal manages to reverse a wrist lock and then hits a desperation German suplex, then oddly somersaults away to catch his breath. Did you notice this? (laughs) He hits a German and Psychosis is just selling on the mat and Regal just somersaults over to a different part of the ring so he can, like, breathe. (laughs) Dude, walk over there. That would help you. Like, if you're trying to catch your breath, I don't know what you're rolling around for. He has to get over there as soon as possible. (laughs) There's a nice double down where Psychosis is selling as if he's knocked out by the German, while Regal is conscious but selling like he's just in physical agony. <laughs> Eventually, they both get up and Psychosis hits his uh, Kupo kick, the sort of like a running flip kick or a reverse Pele is kind of also. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't connect well, but gets a two count. Regal applies a crossface and beats the shit out of Psychosis for good measure. He's just slapping the fuck out of him while he's holding him in this crossface. Yeah. He gives up on the hold, and the two men wind up on their feet in a corner where Regal continues to pound Psychosis with stiff shots to the mush. A butterfly suplex gets Regal a two-count of his own. Regal sets up for a top-rope butterfly suplex, but Psychosis pushes him down and follows with a huge flying splash for two. Regal tries an inside cradle for two. And by the way, the crowd is so hot for this match. Yes. And and I, I feel like it should be noted that as far as I can tell, there were no dark matches. Yeah, um, I don't have any. Not that I found. Yeah. So this is probably like it, just the crowd being excited for any wrestling to be happening. Well, they've had Wildcat Willie hype them up pretty good before well, this. I mean, also they had <laughs> like the excitement of the show starting. Yeah. And then like 10 or 15 minutes of this changeover of the announcers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So they were probably kind of like really looking forward to any sort yeah. of wrestling. Just getting hyped by watching Larry slink off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if like they're excited about the possibility of psychosis winning the television championship. Right. 
But there's I mean, a, I don't know that they were by the beginning, but by the end of this match, yeah. they were. I just specifically when he goes for that splash, there, there was like a big crowd reaction yeah. in anticipation of what he was going to do. Um, yeah, so I feel like the crowd um, adds a lot to this match in particular. Psychosis gets a two from a backslide. He catches Regal with a super kick and then tries for what appears to be a Frankensteiner, but Regal manages to push him off his shoulders and Psychosis face plants on the canvas. Regal goes in for the kill, locking in the Regal stretch for the submission victory. Regal enthusiastically celebrates a hard-fought victory in a hot and well-performed opening match. I wrote, not necessarily a five-star classic, but a very, very good television match that certainly stands out. Right. There were some issues with execution, like some moves were not like 100%, but yeah. um, I mean, because I feel like you could even expect more from these two mm-hmm. um, wrestling against each other, but it's a really good match. And like I said, the crowd adds a lot to it. Um, I, I I feel like Steven Regal's matches are always are a benefit when he's more physical. Yeah. And it seems like yes. from the beginning, because right away, I remember that he hits psychosis with a knee to the head mm-hmm. that seemed like it caught him pretty flush. And that kind of set the pace a little bit. Like they're kind of hard hitting yeah. when they can be. And, and I think that just adds an extra element to it. But no, I, I thought it was a really, really good, especially for an opening match to get the crowd going um, sort of thing. And also just having Steven Regal back on television and psychosis. Yeah. They're two of like the, the of the better acts I've seen. We've seen the last few months um, and seeing them wrestle each other. I'm kind of like, I want to see it again. I want to see them get a little bit more time. Here's an excerpt from uh, Stephen Regal's book. The drugs weren't yet affecting my work. I had a lot of good matches in 1996 as TV champion. Some were with Benoit and Dean Malenko. There was one before Christmas with Psychosis, a high-flying Lucha Libre guy in Pensacola, Florida, which I remember as being exceptional. I had several memorable matches with him and Rey Mysterio. They were smart lads, and between us we worked out how to mix in their high-flying moves with what I did. They weren't one-dimensional either. They knew how to wrestle. I clicked with Psychosis. He didn't speak much English, so we never laid anything out beforehand. we just go in and wrestle, and it would always work. But yeah, I thought that match was good, and it's cool It's cool to know that that like, specific match is something that stuck with Regal's memory and that he was writing about it in his book when, whenever he wrote that in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. Was that the uh, Walk in the Golden Mile? That's it. Okay. It's a harrowing... I think I've talked about it plenty of times on the uh on the show and the word i always use to describe it is harrowing because it's like a man's descent into just like his his addiction problems are because he gets addicted to these weird like energy drinks that have some kind of like weight loss amphetamine component so it's just like hmm. it's like a mix of alcohol and drug addiction that's just like these really weird obscure things i've never heard of that are perfectly legal Mm-hmm. Um, they're not anymore, but they were when he was buying them by the gallon. And I can only imagine that dealing with addiction, especially when your career's going really well. Right. There's probably, you're probably not getting as many indications in your mind that there's something wrong. Cause a lot of things in his life were generally going really well. Like yeah, the career that he is like dedicated his life to, you couldn't really ask for it to be going any better at this point. Well, right. And it's truly weird. And, and I will probably talk about it more when we get there, but he, he goes to WWF and things get really bad for him almost immediately when he gets there. Yeah. And McMahon, I mean, Vince McMahon is like a dick, right? Like yeah. he's just an evil dick. 
everything with the way he treated Regal is the most like amazing, compassionate. Like Regal is supposed to go to Raw or something, and he ends up like falling asleep on a plane and pissing himself and like a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, "Hey, man, it's okay. You can go to rehab. Like we're gonna figure it out." Regal keeps fucking up, and eventually, finally, they release him, and he goes back to WWE very briefly. But, like, when he wants to come back to WWF, they're like, great, we want to help you get clean and sober. Yeah. And they do. And then he has, like, an amazing long career that, where he works to this day. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, it's bizarre to see Vince's, um, for all the things that he's capable of, he also does have this part of him that's capable of being, like, incredibly generous and understanding. And it's not for The Rock. We're not talking about for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. They, the, the Attitude Era would have ended up exactly the same if they never got William Regal. <laughs> um, but like he just he just treated the guy right. It's it's a pretty that part of the story is very nice, right? And it, it's a very that's a very strange circumstances because by all outward appearances to fans, it looks like he goes to WWF who have no idea how to use him, right? And eventually let, let him go because they don't have a use for him. Whereas the story is obviously a lot more different than that. Yes, they, yeah, they let him go because he's killing himself, and they're like, well, we probably don't need another guy dying in a hotel room on our watch like right we can't we <laughs> what there's nothing we can do about this guy right <laughs> which ends up they still have a guy uh, yeah him. well there's plenty back from break we see replays from three weeks ago when bubba picked up a victory over rick steiner thanks to an attack from sting that was in retaliation to comments that steiner had made earlier about sting's loyalties out comes Bubba, who declares himself to be 100% man. <laughs> His opponent tonight is Chavo Guerrero Jr. in what Eric charitably describes as an interesting matchup. <laughs> that is very generous. <laughs> and here to call all the action is our own uh, charitable, generous man around the holidays, Ebenezer Amator. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but post visit from the spirits Ebenezer the, oh, okay. the one who wants the boy to go buy the Christmas goose okay. <laughs> good Ebenezer <laughs> alright I'm going to put another log in the fire so if you hear shuffling around the background <laughs> that's not a euphemism yeah, either <laughs> yeah normally I'd edit it out but a sound of a log going in a fire that's yeah. so satisfying the, mm-hmm. the audience may like it uh, well it's I wanted to note right away that Bubba is using a handkerchief uh, to cover the fact that the bottom of his pants tore off Back on July 8th at the Disney MGM Studios uh, Monday Nitro. <laughs> this is a long-standing thing where I'm, I'm always aware of the fact that this these pleather pants tore. And clearly he never got new ones. He's just covering up that the bottom is missing. <laughs> the match itself begins with, with Chavo flying all over the ring. Rocking Bubba as he's sitting on the middle rope like a swing. Before a dropkick sends the big man to the floor. He tries to capitalize with a cross body block to the arena floor, but Bubba catches him and slams him on the ringside padding. Back in the ring, Bubba tries to keep on the offensive, but Chavo rallies back with a dropkick and a flying forearm, which is unsuccessful in bringing down Big Bubba. Big Bubba does kind of like the waving the arms around, trying not to fall over. Big Bubba loves to play the actual big man in matches, so I'm sure the fact that he's, he was paired up with Chavo is is just a delight for him. He does a bunch of big comical stuff in this match yeah. too. That's that's yeah, he does love it. I agree. Uh, Chavo then leaps onto Bubba's shoulders as though he was going to attempt to hurt Karana, but instead unloads with a fury of punches to drop Bubba to the mat where he gets a two count. Chavo then sends Bubba off the ropes and he hits the flying ass attack. 
which yeah, Naomi he is the, well known for. He hit the she calls it the rear view. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was trying to find out, like, is there an actual name to that wrestling move? In which there's not. Well, it's the rear It's the rear view, but Michael Cole would always say, she calls it the rear view, instead <laughs> right. of just saying it's the... I don't know if he was embarrassed and he didn't want to be like, I coined the term. <laughs> well, so, well, she calls it that. Um, which, uh, as I said, was unexpected uh, of a move to see Chavo hit yeah. in 1996. Yeah. I think, um, who else hits that? Um, the guy in New Japan who does a lot of ass and hip-based stuff. Um, oh, um, Taguchi. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I say that, then Chavo hits a rolling senton for a two count, which is another move I've never seen him do. The two count frustrates Chavo for a little bit. He kind of like looks at the referee like, why wasn't that faster count? Mm-hmm. Um, then he comes off the ropes where Bubba catches him out of nowhere for the sidewalk slam where he gets the pinfall victory. <laughs> so this match very suddenly ends, um, in my opinion. But I thought it was uh, it was a, a fun clash of uh, of styles for what it was, especially just Chavo kind of throwing a little bit of everything that he can at Bubba. Um, this idea of like the smaller guy trying to do what he can to bring down the big man, and yeah. then just just there's a moment of him being frustrated with the referee, and it seems like it's like that lapse in concentration costs him. So there's mm-hmm. I felt like there's a little it made sense, but also it was just kind of like all of a sudden Bubba gets the victory. Uh, I thought for sure you'd mention that during there, Eric is talking about various NFL players uh, who are supporting the NWO and specifically mentions John Randall. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I was, was like, that match. I, I wrote down John Randall NWO because uh, I, as a Vikings fan. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, I mean, if you're going to get like a badass guy from the NFL to be on the NWO, yeah. like, he's pretty high up there. We see a replay as the Bubba Slam has been chosen as the Valvoline High Performance Move of the Week. <laughs> this, you, I, Bischoff is really trying to play it off yeah. like, I'm, I'm trying to be reluctant in doing this, but it's still the Slam of the Week. Yeah. Like, I'm being handed a note here. It says this should be the Slam <laughs> of the Week. Well, used by America's top mechanics, people who know, use Valvoline. <laughs> After a commercial, out strolls a large Japanese wrestler in Sonny Ono. Eric really wants to give away what's about to happen. Uh-huh. Like, he can't help but just, like, give way too many teases. Yeah. Uh, and he says that NWO is spreading around the world, but Sonny Ono doesn't know that. <laughs> Welcome back. NWO Monday Nitro. I'm Eric Bischoff, your host, along with Ted, the Billion Dollar Man, DiBiase. That's right, Eric. NWO is going international, we're going worldwide. Yeah, but you know what? Sonny Ono doesn't know that. Not well. Let's see if we can get an interview here because (laughs) we're in for one heck of a night tonight. Somebody needs to let Sonny Ono in on that. Let's let's take take it, Gino. All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. Joining us at this time, Sonny Ono, along with one of the greatest stars. He has held numerous titles in Japan, a current tag team champion there. He's held titles virtually all over the world. This is going to be great. Sonny Ono, I understand, however, that this man has not signed a contract with the New Japan Wrestling Organization as of yet. Well, how about yes, that? Uh, Gene, I've been, I've been helping him, shall we say, as his agent. 
But wait a minute, your wrestling's answer to Jerry Maguire, you're a sports agent? Uh, yes, yes, that's it. Very good. And what I've been doing is I've been helping him negotiate a contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The minor uh, Take a look at this T-shirt here. <laughs> New Japan Pro Wrestling. What's by Very that? nice, that's a very snappy looking uh, T-shirt also. Yeah. What is this? Hey, what's this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes! Surprise! What, what in the world surprise. is the meaning of this? You talk about a bombshell. Were you aware of this? What did he say? He said, <laughs> What did he just say? He said, End of your kid's butt. No, in English, you oh. idiot. He says something about. He goes, hey, 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 wait a minute. Mr. Toto, please, not here. Don't do that. Oh, boy. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, He's got yeah. shorts. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. I never saw that. NWO has gone international. Have you ever seen Sonny Ono speechless? Masahiro Chono, and let's be clear, Masahiro is his uh, first name. It's not Masahiro, like Masa first name, and then Hiro, right. and then Chono, because yeah. that's what the Chiron says. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do say first name, even though I think in Japan your surname might be the one that goes first. So I might be wrong in saying first name. The point is Masahiro is one name. It's yes. not two goddamn names, WCW. <laughs> right. <laughs> He is a major star in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, of course a business partner of WCW's, who was involved in last year's pretty forgettable Starcade event. Uh, you may remember that Shono uh, lost yeah. to Lex Luger on mm, that show. That's right. He was born in 1963, making him 33 years old here. Uh, he was born in Seattle, Washington, though he was raised in Japan. He's not an American pretending. Uh, he is, he's a Japanese gentleman. Okay. In 1987, Shona was the winner of New Japan's Young Lions Cup, a proving ground of sorts for new talent, before he headed on excursions to Europe for Otto Vance in the mainland uh, United States for several NWA territories, a brief stint in Canada, and in Puerto Rico, where he was part of the Three Musketeers, along with Keiji Mudo and Shinya Hashimoto, two other New Japan Young Stars. He returned to Japan part-time in 1988 and 89, but continued to wrestle in the United States and Australia until October of 1989, when he became more of a focal point of New Japan. At this point, he was a clean-cut babyface who was popular with the fans, and he main-evented a Tokyo Dome show in February of 1990. He and Muto won the IWGP tag titles in April, and he defeated his mentor Lou Thez in Thez's final match. Kind of shows... Uh how long ago, <laughs> what generation <Yeah>. <laughs> he comes from. Blue Thez was his mentor. After an excellent performance in the 1991 G1, which he won, he became a fixture of the main event scene of the promotion. In 1992, Chono won the G1 again, and with it, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which had been resuscitated after being vacated when then-champion Ric Flair defected from WCW to the WWF. Uh, okay. This is also when, like, it gets real weird as to the NWA championship and the WCW championship, and yeah. they were together and then they split. That's all kind of wrapped up in this whole thing. And then there comes that WCW International World Championship. Yes. Yep. Just where they're like, to save the confusion, we're going to throw another title out there. <laughs> yes. At the big January 4th show in 1993, he lost the NWA title to IWGP champion the great Muda, an alter ego, 
an alter ego of Mudo's, he won the G1 again in 1994. Shortly after his third G1 win, this clean-cut fan favorite became angry that Power Warrior, aka that Power Warrior, aka Nitro alum and former WCW United States Champion Kensuke Sasaki, was getting an IWGP title shot before him. He started adopting new heel mannerisms and attitude and started dressing like a member of the Yakuza, complete with black coat and sunglasses. So that's basically everything up to 1996 with Masahiro Chono. Yeah, and I know um, the Masahiro Chono is like even it's like considered one of the all time like legends of New Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, three G one wins. Yes, yeah. that's huge. But he he's kind of like on the lines of I mean borderline kind of like maybe more like Roddy Piper, or Mr. Perfect. That because Chono was IWGP champion once, but he oh, held okay. it for like two months. Mm-hmm. So he's like one of the biggest legends that virtually never had a run with the championship. Interesting. So. Yeah. Gene stops Ono and Chono in the aisle. Clearly Gene has forgotten Chono's name or he never knew it. One of the two. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if he didn't could, bother to learn it or if he forgot. I could believe either one. Cause he's just like, here's this international star. What a man. <laughs> like, It's so clear. He has no fucking idea what his name is. Right. He says that he's a former champion and a current tag team champion. Okerlund asks Ono why this man hasn't re-signed with New Japan Pro Wrestling yet. Ono has decided after last week to just drop the exaggerated accent entirely. He's just Good. talking in his normal voice now. Um, I like that he doesn't quite know what his name is, but he knows he's in contract negotiations <laughs> with New Japan. <laughs> He's uh, Ono says that he's been acting as Chono's agent, helping him negotiate his new contract with New Japan. Gene asks if Ono is wrestling's answer to Jerry Maguire, because it is 1996. <laughs> right. <laughs> at, at least that was something where I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. That's not the, the famous thing of the week sort of thing. Yeah, and no one yelled, show me the money. And right. they should be commended for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> ono eagerly agrees. He shows off his New Japan t-shirt, which is a fucking awesome t-shirt that yeah. i wish that i owned yeah and if there's if there's a shirt from the 90s that doesn't scream 90s yeah like that's always a plus oh and it came from like japan where things are just like that style is different from what the shirts that the kids at my school wore you know yeah it was cool chono opens his black jacket to show his own t-shirt an nwo t-shirt what that gene scenes that Gene sees before Ono. Gene is angry and confused, and DiBiase and Bischoff erupt in laughter. Yeah. They are tickled pink. <laughs> I I do like that it's the slow reveal for Sonny Ono, though. Yes. <laughs> he's yeah. The, he's the last person in the room to find out. Yeah, a, a haughty manager looking like an idiot is wrestling 101, so <laughs> yes. it's pretty great. Ono asks Chono panicked questions in Japanese, and Chono bellows back at him. Gene asks what Shono says, but Ono just repeats it to Gene in Japanese. <laughs> and Okerlund is furious. He goes, in English, you idiot! <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> Chono tries to rip the t-shirt off Ono, but yeah. clearly they didn't practice that, and the t-shirt is just too well-constructed. I was about to say, <laughs> that is a really well-done t-shirt. He tries really hard. That but- should be on whatever commercial they do for that shirt. <laughs> But uh, he ends up just kind of pulling Ono around by the shirt before throwing him to the ground. Yeah. Chono heads the ring as the NWO announcers celebrate this development. 
Chris Jericho is out next to face Jono. Mm, poor Jericho. He has pyro and white meat babyface fire aplenty. <laughs> Before the bell, Eric demands they show some dunce in the crowd with NWO painted in black on his bald head. Yeah, that was why I was mentioning earlier. He was so excited about that. Chono takes it right to Jericho with kicks before tossing him out of the ring. Jericho comes back with some kicks of his own, including a jumping back kick that takes the bigger man to his knees. After a shoulder block attempt by Jericho fails to move either man, Chono challenges him to try another. But Jericho gets caught with a surprise big boot when he's fool enough to try it. As Chono stalks the down Jericho, DiBiase calls him one half of the IWGA tag champions. He was so close. You almost got there. I, you could even see that, like, misreading off a of paper, too. Chono gets some headbutts, and Eric says you better call and order Starcade right now, because if you try to do it the night of the show, you're going to call and get a busy signal for 45 minutes. <laughs> That's a very specific time frame. It's also maybe not a smart thing to say, because plenty of people are going to wait to the night of, and they're going to go, yeah. oh, yeah, even Bischoff said I'm just going to wait on hold for 45 yeah, minutes. I guess, I'll, I guess I'll just enjoy all the presents I got for Christmas <laughs> instead. Um, I just wanted to make sure it's noted that Masahiro Chono is IWGP Tag Team Champions with Hiroshi Tenzan, who oh, yes. we will see in WCW ring at some time in the future. Yes, indeed. Uh, or was he part of the... I believe he was on Starcade last year. So. Okay. Yep. I think he was... I don't remember who he faced, but he uh, maybe I think he was the one who faced Savage. Oh, okay. Bischoff also suggests that you could give Starcade to someone you love for Christmas. <laughs> What I've always wanted. Dad, I got you Starcade. You got what? <laughs> Starcade. What's a Starcade? <laughs> it's that thing you love now. Jericho catches Chono with a sunset flip for two. In and out of the ring, they trade blows for a bit until eventually, back inside, Chono gets a big atomic drop and flexes. Eric does a pretty racist impression of Chono. Um, that's that's where I started taking <laughs> Yeah, he's he's like he's doing an impression of Chono calling him asking for an NWO contract. Yeah, it's not good stuff. It is not good stuff. DiBiase compliments the impressions accuracy and Bischoff says, well, he spent enough time over there to pick it up. And then Eric talks about how much he loves sushi. He yeah, at some point he says he's fluent in sushi bar. Yeah. Yeah. My notes uh, at this point just say, please stop. <laughs> yes. It's really awful, and um, it's emphasized by the fact that this is supposed to be a guy he's friends with now, too. Yeah, and is his Eric's legitimate very good friend is Sonny Ono. <laughs> right. It just seems needless to me. <laughs> uh, Bischoff, I guess this is a tangent that maybe I'll, I'll include or not include, but um, Bischoff's more racist than I realized. There was some uh, depositions that were like... Um, given that included a lot of him using the n-word about performers in wcw oh, that i really? did not realize he had you know i knew all that about terry taylor certainly is very yeah. very famous but i did not know that bischoff was uh accused of that as well Oh, terry taylor's in wcw at this time not at, i don't know if he is at this time but he is later um and it becomes a whole big thing with their big racial discrimination lawsuit filed in part by sonny ono um, and then it's like and like Michael. Yeah, Hayes? he definitely was because um, he he's uh, some of the people he said shit was hard body Harrison, hard work Bobby Walker. Like those are and those guys aren't. I don't know if they're even around three years from now. So I think Taylor is behind the scenes at this point. OK. 
it's just it seems like a never-ending thing in pro professional wrestling, especially yeah. against like black wrestlers or, yes. or talent or anything like that. Because like I was just gonna say like Michael Hayes is still employed by WWE yeah. and has uh, been, Terry Taylor is Terry Taylor is one of the guys running NXT. And not only, but it's like one of the most veteran guys in WWE is Mark Henry. Yeah, and his voice is never listened to. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> cool, <laughs> very cool stuff. Very cool. Jericho hits a superplex, but Bischoff is too busy saying that Antonio Inoki must be in as much shock as McMahon was back when Lex Loser came to WCW. Oh, <laughs> DiBiase just, is wisely totally silent about this. Well done, Ted. <laughs> I, I just, it just reminds me of the fact of how much he didn't even care that Luger was like there. Yeah, he got him just because he could get him. And he didn't really care for him. Yeah, and so when he calls him a loser, I'm kind of like. Is that the character talking, or is that <laughs> also Uncle Eric kind of speaking his mind, too? It's just always funny to me to see, um, talking about DiBiase not participating, it's very funny to see when Bischoff or Shivani acting as Bischoff's proxy talk shit mm. to see which guys think maybe I'll go back to the WWF one day. Like, Bobby never talks shit. DiBiase oh. doesn't talk shit. Because <laughs> right. they're just like, yes. I'm not pissing off Vince. Like, I <laughs> might want to go back there one day. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut during this part. DiBiase actually kind of starts trying to pivot to talking about Lex more like in terms of current WCW storylines. But Eric wants to go back to the WWF, saying that he watched their pay-per-view last night. Why would he even admit that as like a dig or a bit or whatever? They got his money. <laughs> yeah, and then he says he had to turn it off because it was so bad. And like you just pointed out, doesn't matter. Vince has your money now. Doesn't, doesn't <laughs> right. give a fuck if you turn it off, Eric. You moron. That's you saying, I'm not going to get my money's <laughs> worth out of this by turning it off. He's only hurting himself. And this is the pay-per-view that we were talking about on Worldwide with the funny name. Oh, uh, it's, it's time. time. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> a spinning heel kick gets Jericho at two. He heads to the top, but Chono ducks his jumping whatever. Chono no-sells a clothesline and demands Jericho try another. Jericho, remembering the big booting from earlier, instead Irish whips Chono. Jericho tries a leapfrog, but Chono held onto the ropes to stop his momentum. Jericho dives at him, but Chono sidesteps, and Jericho goes over the middle rope and crashes to the outside. Chono attacks Jericho as he tries to re-enter the ring, and Jericho winds up falling backwards with the ropes twisting around his ankle, leaving him dangling trapped upside down and outside the ring. Uh, the Eddie Guerrero versus Test special. Mm -hmm. What was that? Was that a Mania? Yeah, uh, X7. Yes, yep. Chono jumps down to take advantage with kicks. Mark Curtis counts five as Jericho's in the ropes, but Chono keeps attacking him, and Curtis calls for the bell. So at least this time it was the plan, so it didn't look quite so stupid that oh. they didn't know how to get out of it. Right. Uh, Chono keeps attacking him. Okay. It's a disqualification victory for Jericho, but Chono is protected as Bischoff claims this would be legal in Japan, and Chono just doesn't know the American rules. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think that's actually true, but in 1996, it probably doesn't matter to 95% of your audience. I. That's also, like, this is supposed to be one of his NWO members. He's like, he's kind of dumb. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> well, I think he's just like, yeah. I mean, I, trying to make excuses, but, like, you feel like... 
a guy like Masahiro Chono is going to know the rules. Maybe it would have been better to just say, if this guy's care. aggressive, he's a killer, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He had his opponent right where he wanted him, and he went to work. Like, Mark Curtis should be ashamed of letting it end that way. That might have been a better tack, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you should be like, he doesn't give a fuck about your rules. <laughs> Uh, I didn't think this was a very good match. It seemed like a contrast in styles that just didn't quite work. Which was weird because I thought they put Jericho in there because it's like, well, he's a guy that's wrestling in New Japan, has probably wrestled Chono before. He hasn't wrestled in New Japan. He is going to in like three weeks for the first time. Oh, really? I uh, thought he has wrestled in Japan, but I believe it was all for WAR, Wrestling and Romance. Oh, well. Uh, he makes his New Japan debut at the January 4th show as... Um, that like evil version of Liger that the it's like this famous match we'll talk about it, I'm sure when we get there more on a worldwide mm-hmm. um, but the mask of the outfit makes it so he can't see so the match is just terrible and uh, oh yeah yeah I think yeah. I feel like at some point we talked about that briefly. yeah so it's it's this bad it's this like bad match it's kind of a famous thing because he talks about it in his book I think that's why it became a bigger story uh, but then before he comes home he has a few matches on their shows as just Chris Jer- Lionheart Chris Jericho uh-huh. and those go really well so he ends up not completely embarrassing himself and New Japan invites him back for other things later. okay yeah see I thought he had already been there because I thought that's where he got the Lionheart nickname from it might have been in Japan but it was not New Japan okay gotcha this Saturday after a showing of A Christmas Story you can tune into WCW Saturday Night to see the Outsiders in special handicap match Diamond Dallas Page, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Norton, Lex Luger, Eddie Guerrero, and M. Wall Street. See, I felt like Bischoff did a good job of doing this because he made a high emphasis on seeing the outsiders. Yeah. And it was also like, oh, these other guys are there. Yeah. Oh, Diamond Dallas Page, we need to still talk to him or whatever. Right, right. That sort of thing. So I thought he did a good job doing the heel thing while also doing the promo. More replays are shown of Piper's three segments from last week. Eric gets a couple of good lines about how being hit with a chair didn't hurt, and he could have gotten back up and fought, but he didn't because he feels bad for Piper and his bad hip. <laughs> it's just obvious, lying, yeah. weaselly heel, perfect, yep. like, that's just simple, simple stuff that <laughs> always works. Right. Eric says they can't show what happened after they went off the air because the NWO did stuff to Piper that wasn't pretty. And that's kind of funny because thanks to the network, we actually saw what happened when they went off the air and like Piper and Kevin Green were kicking everyone's ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ric Flair's music plays and Gene Okerlund announces the Nature Boy who comes out in a Florida pullover. He's accompanied by Arn, Mongo, and Deborah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome 13th time WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the Nature Boy, Ric You know, that means he lost it 13 times, too. He is by Stephen Michael, a former Mrs. Texas, USA. Showtime! One of the all-time greats, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. He is hot tonight. The horsemen are hot, conspicuously absent once again as Chris Benoit. And on that subject, Arn Anderson... There is a situation so is that is red hot. As a matter of fact, it's boiling over. It involves one of your colleagues, one of your associates, Mr. Benoit, and a lady by the name of Woman. And all of a sudden, Arn, you and the horsemen have gotten the thick of this thing. And I think you're going to have to take up the fight for Benoit, even here tonight. 
The fact of the matter is, over the course of history, the kiss of a beautiful woman has poisoned a lot of great minds. Sullivan, yours wasn't the first. Ben Wise, you won't be the last. But now, Sullivan, you've put me in the crosshairs. You're saying this is my fault. Well, you said last week, you said, let's heat up your life. Well, I've got a solution for you, and I've thought about it long and hard. I'm going to mend that broken heart of yours tonight with a broken body right here in Pensacola. Rick Flair. Rick Flair. Me, Gene. Let me summarize this by saying that woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? I got a bad arm. Chris Benoit's a good man, and I think you should travel through Germany at the speed of light. Right now, they're in some hot springs having a good old time. Woo! Yes, Deborah. Who cares about that nasty little Nancy over there in Germany running around with that little boy, Chris? I mean, that little boy has tried to hit on me a few times. But no, I don't go for little boys. I go for real men. Isn't that right, Steve? That's right. And well, enough said about her. I do the talk about myself because I am the one here who's easy on the eyes, most definitely. And I am the one here who's Mrs. Texas. I am the one here who's beat out over 200 girls to win this title. And you know, I really do hate to say this, but I've noticed the women in this industry and they would not have a dog's chance of winning a beauty pageant. Need I say anything more? Ooh, you got that, Curly? <laughs> but enough of that, baby. Arn, you've seen the look in that man's eye when he does interviews, baby. He ain't just coming out to wrestle. He's coming out to go straight for your throat, baby. Tell him, bring it on, but just be aware, you meet fire with fire. Take him horseman style, baby. Quickly, Ric Flair on the subject of Piper and Hogan at Starcade. Me, Gene, Roddy Piper, woo, will walk the arm. And Hogan, you will know once and for all what it is to pay the price, brother, big time to Roddy Piper. Now, I'm on my way to Kevin Green's house as we speak for a victory party and a throat for the Carolina Panthers. Woo! Thank you very much to Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Gentlemen, we are out of time. Stay tuned. Eric. Gene first asks Arn about the Benoit and woman issue. Arn says many times throughout history, the kiss of a beautiful woman has poisoned a man's mind. Mm-hmm. Arn takes issue with Sullivan, blaming him for the situation. Arn takes issue with Sullivan, blaming him for the situation, and one-ups Sullivan's homoeroticism from last week by talking about how long and hard he's thought about it. <laughs> He promises to heal Sullivan's broken heart by giving him a broken body. I don't think Arn went to medical school. <laughs> also, is it, is it is it just me or is it kind of weird to make that line about like women when like Deborah's just standing right there? You well, know how fickle women can be, don't you, Deborah? I don't know because nobody seems to hate other women more than Deborah. <laughs> that's that's true. So it, like, that's true. She's probably on his side more than anyone. Or he's probably like. I don't engage with her. She'll start talking about all these awards she's won, pageants and stuff. Whatever point Ric Flair wants to make next is incomprehensible. Oh, is this one his throat? No, no. This is before. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So he says, uh, I think what he's trying to say is that he's sort of in support of woman and Benoit getting their rocks off across Europe. I think he's like the <laughs> one friend who's like kind of a decent wingman. The one horseman who's a decent like friend and wingman. Yeah. 
He's just like, hey, you guys, I hope it seems like you're having fun in Europe. Great. I love you. Because, <laughs> again, we've talked about this a lot. Like, Ric Flair, even the character, is like a guy who wants to be loved. And he's mm-hmm. like, all the horsemen are all pissed at Benoit and woman. And he's just like, they're great. Don't you love those kids? They're having fun <laughs> in Europe. It's cool. <laughs> I feel like in his time, he would have been like the ultimate wingman kind of guy. Oh, God, yeah. He would have been so game. I mean, maybe the person you're interested in just goes with Ric Flair anyway. And he's yeah. like, oh, sorry, pal. The top six women go with Flair, and everything seven down is yours. <laughs> right. Deborah, oh. out of nowhere, claims that Benoit has tried to hit on her a few times in the past, but she doesn't go for little boys. <laughs> well, she, what? How does that add to this? <laughs> she blathers about how she's easy on the eyes. She compliments herself for being Mrs. Texas. There we go. She says that she beat over 200 girls to win that title. To death. <laughs> she says the women in the wrestling industry wouldn't have a dog's chance in a beauty contest. Hmm. Mongo's contribution is as follows, and I quote, You got that, Curly? Ha 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 ha. But enough of that, baby. Arn, you've seen the look in that man's eyes when he does interviews, baby. He ain't just coming out to wrestle. He's coming to go straight for your throat, baby. Tell him. Bring it on, man. Just be aware you meet fire with fire. Take him out horseman style, baby. <laughs> Woo. Wait, who's he talking about that's going to rip He's- your throat out? He's telling Orn to fight dirty against Sullivan. Oh, okay. But it's just it just because no one has been talking about that match really. I guess Orn did a little bit, but then uh-huh. like Flair yelled and the woman or Deborah yelled. Uh all of a sudden he's just like, "Ha ha ha, Curly, you don't want none of that, baby." And it's just like, "What? What?" <laughs> it's just whiplash all of a sudden. <laughs> In the proper context, it probably makes more sense. A suddenly extremely hoarse Flair talks some shit to Hogan. His voice disappeared instantaneously. Yeah. There was no middle ground. It right. was typical Ric Flair promo, and then all of a sudden, just a man with no voice at all. Yeah. I was kind of like, when it happened, I was like, what, 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 ha- what happened? Yeah. <laughs> did I miss something? How did, he, how did he go from just perfectly fine to suddenly gasping for breath and just unable to speak yeah. whatsoever? It's just incredible. Uh, Flair then says they're going to go to Mongo's for a victory party for the Panthers, which, like, I don't think the Florida fans are, like, Carolina Panthers fans. They're yeah. probably Jaguars fans or uh, Bucks fans, maybe, like, Dolphins yeah. fans, perhaps. <laughs> it's like he forgot that, like, to pander to this crowd, he had to pick their team instead of the one from last week. Right. I mean, I, I'm kind of like, I feel like you should just have a hot tea and, like, go to bed early or something like that. <laughs> I don't want him out partying. He's going to make his voice worse. <laughs> out to generic rock is Dave Sammartino. What? That's according to the Chiron. Uh, Dave, which I thought was funny, but it is uh, it is David Sammartino. I made a note of that, too. That they, They're like, he's cool now. Now he's just Dave. <laughs> Bischoff and DiBiase completely ignore him, uh, but David Lagogo Sammartino. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Lagogo. What? Is that the that I, it's, it must be Italian. What is that like uh is that the real last name or something? No, San Martino is his real last name. His middle name is oh. his name is David Lagogo San Martino. What was was Bruno <laughs> like okay, he gets a boring first name, <laughs> but I get to pick out the middle yeah, name. That, well, yeah, why not Bruno or <laughs> something Italian? Or like Lagogo or something. <laughs> He is the 36-year-old son of retired WWF legendary champion, I guess I should say WWF 
legendary champion Bruno San Martino. He broke into the business in the early 1980s, originally against the wishes of his father. After a year or so in the Indies, he made his initial splash in 1981, picking up where his father left off, feuding with Larry Zbysko. In 1984, Vince McMahon signed San Martino, although it was largely to lure Bruno back into the spotlight, as Bruno had made Vince's father so much money. (laughs) All the money. David wrestled Brutus Beefcake at the first WrestleMania, and then began a series of tag matches featuring himself and his father. When his father was involved, he'd be at the top of the card, but when he wasn't, he was pretty much a prelim guy. Nice. David and Bruno were angry that the promotion didn't take David seriously and both saw through the obvious use of him to try to get to Bruno. Weird, because I feel like the fans also noticed that. This opened a rift between Bruno and Vince that would last for decades. This was kind of the start of when Bruno and Vince had their big Mm. uh, parting. In fact, San Martino's most notable WWF match, outside of probably that WrestleMania match we mentioned earlier was in 1985 when he faced one of the WWF's most reliable jobbers, Ron Shaw, in a match in Philadelphia. Ron was getting a surprising amount of offense in the match and went to pin San Martino and pulled up at two, looking confused as San Martino hadn't kicked out. Hmm. They went a bit longer and Shaw locked San Martino into a bear hug and David almost immediately submitted. This, of course, was not the plan. Uh, Gorilla tried to cover on commentary by insisting that David didn't give up and would never submit, but David has since been clear in interviews that this was all his design to give an F.U. to McMahon on his way out the door once again. Oh, just to blatantly lose to a jobber? He just lost to a jobber, just to kind of like expose the business a little bit. Okay. Uh, just or, to like, And just because, like, oh, he'll be pissed if I lose to this guy. Yeah. San Martino would join the AWA for a spell, rejoin the WWF in 1988 until he was arrested for punching a fan who spit on him. <laughs> he spent time working in the UWF, All Japan, and various indies before leaving wrestling altogether for several years. He got back on the indies in 95 and managed to get a tryout with WCW that we mentioned happened on Saturday night a few weeks ago. Or I think it was at a taping. I don't think it was actually on the show. Okay. Uh, San Martino is looking in tremendous shape. Yes. He is like a lean bodybuilder figure who looks 100 pounds smaller than he did if you go and see him on WrestleMania 1. Okay. He's got that, like, at WrestleMania 1, he's got that 80s WWF, like, uh, huge, swollen, like, clearly the guy's muscly, but he's also just huge mm-hmm. and just beefy. So, like, Bruno. Yeah, yeah, similar. But, yeah, but, like, way beefier than Bruno, even. He looks okay. like a overstuffed hot dog. Uh, and now he looks like, I mean, he's competing here as a cruiserweight, and he looks like a cruiserweight. Uh, yeah, so that it, was the first thing, because I, my notes were like, I remember that he had this match against Bruce Beefcake that I felt like was poorly received. Yeah. Um, And and then realizing like, oh, yeah, he's like the size of a cruiserweight. Yeah. Because I thought that he was a lot bigger, and that wasn't going to make sense that he was going to be going for the cruiserweight title. I mean, it also doesn't make sense that he's automatically getting this title match, but whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, speaking of title, ma- title matches, Cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko comes out for this title defense. The bell rings, and neither announcer has said one word about either man or the match. <laughs> right. But here to call all the action is our own Dave Lagogo Amantorp. <laughs> so the, the match begins with a series of reversals out of hammerlocks, with Malenko throwing in a drop toe hold in there for good measure. As soon as I type that, San Martino drops Malenko with a toe hold of his own and returns to the hammerlock. When they return to their feet, San Martino converts the hold into a wrist lock, 
and Malenko counters with yet an, another drop toe hold, which he turns into a reverse chin lock. So a lot of chain wrestling going on right now, which with my brief remembering of Sam Martino, I didn't think he was a good wrestler. So this is kind of throw me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A Malenko whip into the corner was meant to be followed but with a running forearm, but San Martino dodges before rolling the champion up with a schoolboy for a two count. Malenko counters with a small package for two. The two men trade off pinning combinations, and Malenko eventually hooks in a double underhook pin, which very slowly and awkwardly gets him the pinfall victory. It's a very short match. It's a lot of chain wrestling, which I was uh, surprised by. I'm surprised by how good San Martino is. Yeah. Because um, I just always assumed that he was like the the offspring that just wasn't good enough to, to make it as a wrestler, but mm. got opportunities because of his last name. But right. I thought he looked impressive. I mean, I think if he'd, if he'd come on 10 years later, he would have been better served. Like he would have been a lot better per, for the wrestling that was happening yeah. at this time. He's just like a little too old and he's, in a weird way, that like WrestleMania one stint and his father's name is like a, a burden more than a, right. a benefit at this point. If he were a little younger, mm-hmm. maybe that wouldn't be the case. But but I mean, just after the WWF whole thing, which was ten years before, yeah, the fact that it looks like he's still putting a good effort to like still like be in shape, yeah, and to still be learning and stuff like that, like. At this point, it seems like you could make something out of him. Maybe not a not like a champion or anything, but he could be a serviceable guy. I mean, like yeah, absolutely. He could he could be a low card in the cruiserweight division. He, he could he, be he'd be a guy who the cruiserweights beat. He reminds me of like Brad Anderson. Yes, yes, that's a great comparison because they're both like really good shape. They're they're very competent wrestlers and maybe just don't have like quite like the like a gimmick or a thing with them that makes them that appealing. But yeah. I, I was, I mean, again, from just knowing him for WrestleMania 1, which I've not watched in forever, so I've not really watched Dave San Martino wrestle. Yeah. Like, I came away like, oh, I guess he's a pretty good wrestler. <laughs> so. Uh, the replay shows that they really kind of mess up the finish because San Martino, both his shoulders keep coming off the mat during the pin. Right. But the ref just keeps counting. Malenko seems annoyed whether it was about that or something else. I don't know. He just like grabs his belt and just fucks off. Yeah. And San Martino is in the ring. Just kind of like he just shrugs like, I don't know. What are you going to do? They both seem a bit bewildered by the yeah. ending. So. Yeah. Something they, they didn't like the way that one went. Clearly. When we return from break, it's pyro. It's, it's time for the second hour. Bischoff calls out Tony, Tanay, and Heenan who come to the broadcast desk. The NWO then turned the show over to the normal broadcast team. Uh, no explanation. They don't bother right. to come up with any kind of character or storyline reason why the NWO would just get bored and stop doing it. It just They just wanted to do an hour. We're, we that's are good. taking over for one hour. <laughs> <laughs> then you can have it back. We see a replay of the Chono angle from earlier. Out next comes what appears to be the drunk abusive boyfriend who gets killed midway through a 1987 slasher movie. Jerry Flynn is a tall guy oh. with an ugly mug, mm-hmm. a big black mullet, and some kind of martial arts robe that just looks like a bathrobe flung open to expose his hairy, undefined torso. <laughs> he definitely looks like, in a movie, like there's a cute girl and she needs to get with a cute guy, but at the beginning of the movie, she's with like an asshole who treats her shitty. This is the asshole who treats her shitty. 
Yeah, he he looks like he used to be a member of Cobra Kai and yeah. he's still trying <laughs> yes. he's still yeah. trying to keep the gimmick going, but he just doesn't really have the body for it anymore. It's funny to finally see Jerry Flynn because uh for years I thought that that was just the WCW name of Jerry, Jerry Lynn. Lynn. Yeah. Like I knew he was Mr. JL, but I thought maybe he took off the mask and then he was Jerry Flynn for a while. I did not realize there was actually just a different guy <laughs> known as Jerry Flynn. Uh, he was born William Bennerman. Benneman? William, B- who gives a shit? <laughs> Fuck you, Jerry Flynn. I was about to say the same. <laughs> Just keep moving on. Uh, no born in really 1959, cares. trained by Boris Malenko, debuted in Japan's FMW in 1989, worked in Japan throughout the early 90s for FMW, uh, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, and SWS. So he started training at like 30 then? Pretty much. Yeah, I think he is a he's got the gi and stuff. I think he does have a legitimate martial arts background. Uh-huh. So he was in a lot of those like Japan semi shoot uh organizations that were around in like the early and mid nineties. Oh, like Pancras. So, yeah, like and FMW. I don't I think, think anything uh, I mean, other than FMW, I don't think there was anything on like the prestige level of a Pancras. Like I think he yeah. would like he'd kill to be in Pancras, but <laughs> <laughs> he, I would kill to be in Pancras. <laughs> But I think he's so I think if he can kind of rely on that style, he's OK. But in general, mm-hmm. he he sucks. <laughs> he caught on as an enhancement talent for the WWF in 1995. He has appeared in losing efforts on Raw Wrestling Challenge and Superstars of Wrestling. He was brought into the WCW by his friends Paul Orndorff and Mark Starr. Hmm. Flynn tells the camera to get out of his face and I agree with him. <laughs> right. Get that camera somewhere else. Hell yeah, it's choo-choo time. Here comes Ice Train, baby. <laughs> Train is out with Teddy Long. Ice Train is still wearing pants, unfortunately, but he is looking a little less flabby in the boob area. <laughs> like the last time is he it, came out wearing the pants, I remember being like, oh, It's a I, more flattering outfit. You're... Well, no, he's wearing the exact same outfit. I think he's just been working his chest. Oh. I think he's just reduced the amount of fat and improved the amount of muscle. Okay, fair enough. I think that he's giving his extra food to Teddy Long because Train is looking maybe a little slimmer. Long is looking like rounder than ever. (laughs) The bell rings and Ice Train turns Flynn inside out with a clothesline. Train suplex and slams Flynn before hitting a big standing splash followed by an Irish whip and a corner splash. He tries another but Flynn gets a foot up and comes out of the corner with a forearm. Flynn sets Train up in the corner and hits a running kick where he... He, like, runs into him, kicks him, and then rolls over the top rope to the outside, which was maybe the one cool thing he did this match. I, it just looked smooth. It was well executed. Yeah. He tells the crowd to shut up. <laughs> and they don't. <laughs> Flynn, well, they'd have to be making noise to shut up. Oh. Ah. oh Flynn no. kicks Train a few times. Train eventually catches his leg, and Flynn gets an enziguri for two. Ice Train choo-choos up by no-selling some Flynn yes kicks. Shivani claims that he's forced to read an announcement from Bischoff that tickets will go on sale this Friday for an NWO pay-per-view taking place in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Ooh. That is NWO sold out, which will be held on Saturday, January 25th. <laughs> I think I think Kevin Nash has spoken about it for a few times as far as like, if we're the NWO and we're doing our own pay-per-view and we're cool, yeah. why are we going to Cedar Rapids? <laughs> You know, he was like, they'd be yeah. like, they'd be like Vegas right. or something like right. that. He, but he, he said like, from the very beginning, it was like, that's trouble because it's like, <laughs> it's not remotely a cool place that's to go. That's funny. 
Train misses an elbow drop as Tony complains about the promoting what as Tony complains about promoting one of the NWO's events, as if Bischoff wasn't shilling Starcade for an entire hour earlier tonight. Yeah, come on. Like, honestly, you can't complain because Bischoff was pushing Starcade very hard, so you might as well promote his show. Yeah, he threw, you, he threw you a bone there. Come on, man. Train hits a big clothesline for Double Down. Flynn is up first and gets some kicks, but Train catches him and slaps on an ankle lock, of all things, for the submission victory. Yeah, I mean they call. I mean, uh, Tanae calls it a heel lock, and it kind of looks a bit more like a, a heel lock. Yeah, but I was, I don't remember him ever doing this. But I was like, oh, that'd be interesting if Big Ice Train has like a submission move like that. Yeah, that he just s- hits out of nowhere. They say I don't know if it's during the finish or when he goes for something earlier, but they say something about how he picked up more submissions working with Scott Norton as uh, oh, okay. Fire and Ice, which I was like, oh, that's some nice continuity. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Even though they hate each other, he still learned from him. Uh, for some reason, he refuses to break the hold until Teddy Long intervenes. I don't know if he's supposed to be kind of turning heel now or something. That that was weird. I don't know. I just I like the idea of him having like a, a heel lock or a, an ankle lock as yeah. a finisher, though. It's I like, agree. It's just... It's kind of outside the box thinking for having a big man having like a sit down submission hole for Vic for a finisher. Long and train celebrate until they're rudely interrupted. Six is out with a live mic and he introduces Hall and Ash, the outsiders. And and even and Ric Flair's lost his voice and Six is really trying <laughs> to lose his voice. He is screaming. Yeah. This is what you gotta do. This is what Piper is instilling all of us. stars, huh? Make a little noise. What Piper? What's that? What's Who that? is this? No, no. Introducing. No. You guys stay right the here. The biggest deal in wrestling Not today. Again. The WCW World Tag Team Champions. Holland Nash. The Outsiders. Do we have to be looking over our shoulders the entire night? You guys stay right here. We're not going to figure out a little thing to do with your head. I guess Six is going to conduct this interview, or what are they going to do? They're going to come over here? Can somebody tell me something here? Okay. Every time we sit down, there's... Ken, the first thing I know everybody out there watching wants to know is, what's with the bandana, baby? I'm looking sweet, ain't I? Too sweet. Too sweet. So, Starcade's coming up. What do we got in store? Well, I know, like everybody else out here, I'm going to be watching Hollywood Hogan take care of that punk Roddy Piper. And then, being the people's choice, like the NWO is, We're going to put our tag belts on the line against the faces of fear. You know what? I saw those two guys in the back giving each other a poi bath. I say we don't wait till Starcade. You know, we took over the first half of the show. Let's make sure that people stay tuned for the NWO in the second half. Tonight, here in Pensacola, we'll take on the faces of fear. Cause they ain't got a chance! Hey, somebody say something about P. Cola. Well, let's get fired up! 
Hey, you tell those two savages that we want an answer before the end of the night, because it's NWO for life. Six is apparently going to play Mean Gene here, and he asks Nash about the bandana that Nash is wearing. Nash says that he's looking sweet, too sweet. I feel like this has to be an inside joke that we're on the outside of. Like, I don't yeah. know what the deal is with the bandana. It it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't mean anything. It's just they're goofing off. It, it's like it's almost like Six is like, I'm going to ask about the bandana. <laughs> and Nash's like, don't do it. <laughs> he's like, no, nah, I'm going to. You're going to have to deal with this because it's being asked. Hall says that he's looking forward to seeing Hogan take care of Piper and that they'll defend their tag belts against the Faces of Fear uh, at Starcade, of course. Nash claims to have seen the Faces of Fear giving each other a poi bath backstage. Uh, poi is, of course, a thick paste of pounded bananas or pineapples mixed with coconut cream. Uh, it's popular in, like, Polynesian cooking, so it's it's just racism. He's just doing racism here. That sounds relaxing, though. <laughs> in a bath of bananas? Why not? Nash says that later tonight they're going to fight the faces of fear right here in Pensacola. I, and but and when he said it's a poi bath, I was like, there's nothing good that comes out of that. I'm not going to look up what that is. <laughs> I didn't want to find out it's like... A gay men thing. Well, or? I think it was gay because they're bathing together, but it was also racist because they were, it was in poi. So <laughs> he was really doubling up there. You, you think it's gay, but it's really gay <laughs> and racist. Uh, they then look to the entrance as if they expect someone else to come out, but nobody does. Ooh, and then the NWO music starts playing, uh, but Hall thinks that he needs to talk more. So now the music's playing and he's just yelling... Uh, he's just yelling, saying that those two savages need to give them an answer tonight. Those cannibal savages. The, oh, boy. Uh, so I guess Hall and Nash are demanding that the <laughs> that the Faces of Fear answer their question of whether they'll fight them tonight, and they want that answer tonight. Ah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> that checks out. It'd be funny if the Faces of Fear waited until tomorrow and then said, yes, we accept your challenge to or, fight last night on yes. Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not answering the challenge we win by forfeit <laughs> uh we get a commercial it's the standard nwo shirt commercial except for now at the end they tack on nwo hats now available for 15 bucks <laughs> and i really like that he says bucks uh and it's a friend of the show um neil pruitt yeah doing the 15 bucks line so i always appreciate hearing neil. there's hats available only for 15 bucks <laughs> we get a weird trippy sting promo video yeah. Uh, on the right, we see Sting shown in close-up and extreme slow motion, while on the left, replays of things that he's done recently uh, play, along with like weird vocal effects over bits from promos mm -hmm. of the guys that he's done those things to. Yeah. Uh, I it's very short. I'll probably include the audio here. I liked it. It was a little too on the weird side with the sound effects, but yeah. I liked that they're doing stuff. It was it was different from what we normally see and. And I like I like the purpose behind it that it was just like, just raising those questions again. Yeah. And just emphasizing we don't know the answers to them. And yeah, just what it was in, intention it pulled it off, but it was very weird. It was also nice that it was like two minutes long. It was not. It didn't overstay its welcome. Like the what, what was last week with the I the need one a hero. Yeah. That's like supposedly really long. Yes, I think they played the full song normally, but the the network was yeah. generic rock and it was edited down. <laughs>
after, Tony tells us that the Faces of Fear have accepted the challenge from the Outsiders, and so we will have a non-title preview of the Starcade tag match later tonight. I'm surprised he didn't try to do like a Ming impersonation of him accepting the oh challenge. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I wouldn't fuck with Meng. <laughs> That's like, Chono's never going to probably hear what Eric said. Uh-huh. Meng might find out. <laughs> I, I think Chono is terrifying. Oh, God, I mean, yes. not on the level of Meng, though. Or the Barbarian, for that matter. Bobby Eaton is out next in a random-sounding matchup with Rey Mysterio Jr. Hmm. According to the Wrestling Observer, that is because Eaton is a substitution for Juventud Guerrera, who was stopped at the border because his working papers aren't in order. Oh. Now my broadcast colleague has all of his papers cleared and stamped, so here to call all the action is our own, Dave Amantorp. Yes, they're all cleared. Let's stick to that story. <laughs> <laughs> David Olaf Amantorp. I just remembered you do have an interesting, uh, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking middle for name, is. Middle name. Yeah, but it, like sort of Lagogo is like an old Italian name. Yeah. Olaf is an old German name. It's, yep. it's like a ethnic, I guess, is the word I wanted to use, but that just sounds race, and I, and racial. <laughs> I look at Dave San Martino, it's like, like visually it's a very similar looking name to my name. Yeah, sure. Um. Legogo is a good one, though. Legogo is a great just, name. That's just. I hope the intention was just to throw his enemies off. Yeah, I'm calling my son down here to tell him that I'm changing his middle name to <laughs> Legogo. Desmond Legogo. Just see how. He, what is, what's his middle name now? <laughs> uh, Earl, after my my grandfather. Okay, so <laughs> fuck it, off, Grandpa. <laughs> He's a Legogo boy now. <laughs> Uh, so Ray starts a match off with a pair of arm drags, but is stopped dead in his tracks when Ian slippily slaps the piss out of him. Like, he just smacks him right in the face. Like, I'll have none of this arm drag nonsense. <laughs> uh, Ian kicks away at his much smaller adversary before whipping him off the ropes with, for a backbreaker, which gets him a two count only. Ian tosses Ray out of the ring, but his follow-up with a forearm smash off the apron backfires as he gets nothing but guardrail. Ray quickly returns to the ring and hits Ian with a suicide dive. Back in the ring, uh, Ray hits a springboard dropkick, and then, I don't know what exactly you call it, but like a springboard uh, backflip off the ropes. Oh, isn't that... Oh, backflip. I don't know. Where he kind of like... He just kind of bounces off the top rope and lets the rope kind of like flip him backwards onto the opponent. Oh, yeah. I don't. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what I was trying called. to figure out what to call it. It didn't seem like a moonsault, so I called a springboard backflip. But sure. Either way, it only gives him a two count. Uh, Bobby counters with a lariat for a two count, then follows up with a reverse chin lock. By the way, I was just very aware of how Bobby looks like he is an adult wrestling a child at yes. this point. Yeah, Meltzer did not like that. He said that they kind of exposed Mysterio. But it's funny because I think as time goes on, it's like, why isn't Mysterio given more chances to go up the card? And it's like, well... He's going to have to wrestle guys that make him look fucking tiny. Yeah. And you're going to have to find ways to make that work. Right. I, I, mean, I, I guess it was just the first time he'd really seen it or something. Cause yeah. Well, and, and as much as it's kind of like, oh, it sucks that it, like when he went to WWE, he bulked up. Yeah. But it for this mat, it looked better for his yeah. matches. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll, when you I see agree. him like wrestle Brock Lesnar, he looks a lot more believable than what he would have back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So Ian body slams Ray, then goes up to the top and hits a flying knee drop instead of the Alabama jam. 
I make a note of this because he did the same thing last week against Chris Jericho. Yeah. It's another instance where he has his opponent set up for his finisher and doesn't go for it. I don't understand why you would have a setup that would be like, because this fly knee drop is like a patent move mm-hmm. of Eaton's. But I don't understand if the other one's your finisher, why you wouldn't go for that instead. Also, I made a note that he could have probably saved his back and tailbone from years of grief if he used the knee drop as a finisher instead, <laughs> instead of just landing on his tailbone. Eaton floors Ray with a back elbow, then positions himself on the middle rope for some sort of move. Ray quickly leaps his feet, springs off the ropes, and nails Bobby Eaton with a hurricanrana for the pinfall victory. And seriously, this was like some Spider-Man shit that he did here. Like, I've seen him do this move before yeah, uh, where he comes off the ropes like that, but he does it so fluid and so crisp this time. It was like a little bit mind-boggling. Like, his capability in the ring to move so quickly and come off the ropes like that, it's just, you know... Mm-hmm. Even all these years later, Rey Mysterio Jr. continues to amaze me with what he can do. So a couple notes from that match that I have, just things that the announcers mentioned. One, Rey versus uh, Liger at Starcade. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Give me that and put it right into my veins. Right. I don't I don't even remember this match at all either, so that'll be fun to watch. Uh, two, Ultimo Dragon versus Dean Malenko at Starcade. What we knew that? Uh, oh, did we already know that one? Yeah, because last, last week Ono... Uh, was oh talk- yeah, that's why Ono keeps. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, because they they're having the the unification match of sorts. Yes, for the J Crown. Yep. Yep. Tanae, uh just another announcing thing. Tanae brags about Mysterio's worldwide bookings, which I just think is so different from today that you'd be like, federations everywhere are booking this guy. Yeah. Like nowadays, it's like he's exclusive to us. We control him. You would never put over a promotion, even in another country where people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just so different. Well, I mean, I feel like in NXT and NXT UK, they kind of do, but that's like with the affiliated, right. like Evolve and things right. like that. So, yeah, I mean, probably wouldn't be like, WWE right now would not be like, oh, you know, New Japan really wants this guy or anything like that. What would be interesting is if in a few years, if AEW is still around, if an AEW, if a decent AEW name goes to WWE, mm-hmm. will they mention it or will they do... The like, oh, this guy's here, and we'll just never kind of mention where he's from or anything. Uh, I feel like you're you're answering the question yeah. as soon as you ask it. The <laughs> uh, last announcing note. Oh, two more. Uh, Sh- uh, Shivani notes that he would not, for the first time ever, want to be Arn Anderson tonight, <laughs> which just makes it sound like he's constantly walking around pining about being Arn Anderson. <laughs> if I could just have one wish. And the last announcing note. I don't know what it was specifically during this match. It just, I think it's more the tone of his voice. I think this is one of the nights where Heenan is getting a little sauced. Oh, okay. He really, if you just start paying attention to his voice, he, I don't know. It's not like hog wild. It's nothing outrageous like that, but he just seems like he's enjoying himself a bit too much. (laughs) After a commercial, we get our road report from Lee Marshall, who's in Macon, Georgia this week. Fans of the Nitro Party can't wait until next week, the week before Christmas, and all of Macon's best are going to be there. Uh... (laughs) Did he say that? He did. Who? But then he lists he lists people and all the people he lists are there it's they're all references to a little Richard song because little Richard is from Macon, Georgia. Okay. All right. So he says that Long Tall Sally, Uncle John, Lucille and Bald-headed Sally 
uh, are all going to be there. So those are all just people mentioned in the song Long Tall Sally. Yeah. Uh, He also says that the rare white Gordonian guzzling weasel will be there, which uh, Gordon's is a gin, I want to say. So he is just straight up calling Bobby an alcoholic now. Hey, Bobby's like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) I got a Zuckerberg myself. Uh, so it's funny because right as I put in my notes that I thought Bobby was drinking, there was an immediate reference to Bobby drinking. <laughs> uh, Heenan has like not a very good comeback either. He tells um, he tells Marshall to lay off the moonshine. <laughs> That's all he's got. Which is probably a, a more of a sign that he's been drinking because he doesn't have a witty <laughs> comeback. Because he always has a witty right. comeback. Shivani, who desperately wants the Taskmaster to kick his ass... Introduce a video sent in by Chris Benoit and oh, Woman. That's right. He, <laughs> he, he was Kevin, very explicitly told. Kevin told him, like, spitting in his face, basically, to never do that again. And I think Tony was just like, well, he doesn't sign my paycheck, so my boss told me to do yeah, this. Yeah, he just said, I'm doing what I uh, was told. And Kevin told him, was just like, please, as, like, human to human, don't <laughs> do that to me. And here he is a week <laughs> later doing it again. Kevin Sullivan's like, I'm letting my guard down, <laughs> letting you know how this affects me as a person. Look, I'm not really a Satanist. This is all bullshit. <laughs> and I need you to be my friend right now. <laughs> Tony's like, understood. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> no problem. Smooth sailing from here on out. How do you like that uh, gondola ride in mm-hmm. Venice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved it. What'd you oh, think of that Coliseum in Rome? It was fabulous. Where are we going next? Mon chéri, mm. ça va être magnifique. Uh, Paris. We're going to Paris. Oh. Kevin, doesn't life suck? <laughs> I might be coming home. Emily might not be. Then again, I might be home for myself. <laughs> I'm not cold anymore. What's it like coming home at night to an empty house, Kevin? What's it like on those late night walks along the beach alone? Has it finally set in? Have you finally faced the truth? What's it feel like being a loser? What's it feel like losing the most important thing that you ever had? I'll tell you what, it sure feels great gaining it. Cheers. Woman and Benoit are in a definite I wrote definite restaurant. I don't I don't <laughs> like there's no doubt that this it's is a true. restaurant. <laughs> the whole I mean I didn't I didn't go back to watch the other video but I'm like yeah. what are the odds that they just record this in the same restaurant? Oh yeah, cuz this one they're like in a booth and it's all close up. So I I think it's 100%. And maybe that's what I meant to say, definitely the same restaurant. Yeah. Um I cuz I was just like do I want to go back to see if they're wearing the same clothes? I'm like not really. Nope. I don't care nope. enough. Uh, They're cuddled up and enjoying some wine. Benoit asks woman how she liked the gondola ride they took in Venice and how she liked the Colosseum in Rome. Uh, I like that the the closed captions on the WWE Network 
accidentally say, how did you like the Coliseum at home? (laughs) I brought it for you. (laughs) Uh, She liked them, and she asks where they're going next, and Benoit responds with some French, and she adroitly deduces that they are headed to Paris. (laughs) Boy, will she be surprised when we go to Huntsville, Alabama instead. (laughs) Benoit asks Sullivan what his life were like to... Benoit... (laughs) Benoit asks Sullivan what it's like for life to suck. (laughs) Nancy says that she might be coming home. She might not be. And she might be coming home for herself. She says that she's not cold anymore. Wow. All right. Cool. Benoit asks what it's like coming home every night. What is it like having late night walks to the beach alone? And honestly, that sounds cool as hell. (laughs) I would love that. Walking by on the beach at night all by yourself? That sounds amazing. (laughs) Kevin's like, it's really great, Chris. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Yeah, you should try it. Benoit asks if Sullivan has finally accepted being a loser who lost Nancy. (laughs) A loser who loses. (laughs) Benoit says it sure feels great gaining what Sullivan lost. And we go back to the arena where Tony says that we didn't need to see that. Well, then don't show it, fuckface. (laughs) Right. You had the power to stop that. (laughs) Do you not? Is there no way to screen these ahead of time? Are they one-play VHS tapes? <laughs> they they, they self-destruct <laughs> like a Mission Impossible? Yep. <laughs> Out comes Sullivan, who points and yells at Shivani, but heads to the ring rather than the broadcast area. Shivani implores Benoit and woman to stay in Paris rather than come home and face the wrath of the Taskmaster. Ooh. Out comes Arn Anderson, alone. No, uh, no horsemen accompanying him. Sullivan meets him in the aisle and takes him down with some punches. The bell rings preposterously as they're fighting outside the ring. Why? The bell rules in WCW are laughably lax. Oh boy, it does not get better in this match, that's for sure. Sullivan and Arn take it to each other with punches and kicks, with Sullivan tearing Arn's horseman shirt off. Sullivan grabs a chair and throws it into Arn, which Mark Curtis misses thanks to a Jimmy Hart distraction. Arn gets the chair and swings it at Sullivan, who ducks. Tanae says he's not sure if this is Falls Count Anywhere or what. I, I don't either, Mike. That's a good question. You're supposed to be telling me. You're you're the professor. <laughs> right. They finally enter the ring. Sullivan punches and kicks Arn in the corner before tossing him back outside. He, I don't know what kind of match this is. <laughs> is this a wrestling match? And it's funny because that's we're going to see that so many times on Nitro over the years. Oh, yeah. He throws him over the barricade into the crowd. Sullivan is firmly in control, though Arn gets some punches in and finally brings things back toward the ring. Once inside, Arn gets some knee lifts as he begins to focus on the right leg of the Taskmaster. Curtis tries to stop Arn as Sullivan is in the ropes, and Arn swats at Curtis, who sells like he might have gotten hit in the eye. Mm -hmm. Sullivan punches Arn, who turns around slowly, and Mark Curtis blindly walks into him, so Arn DDTs him? But Arn wasn't blinded. it's It's like a reflex. It's like, if someone walks up to me, bent at the waist, with their head under my arm, I DDT him. (laughs) I'm a simple man. (laughs) A hobbled Sullivan hits the double stomp. He puts Arn in the tree of woe and goes for the running knee, but Arn wisely punches him in the dick, which the crowd loves. It's a never fail. The guy's running straight at you. Punch him in the dick. Why not? Dick's right there. (laughs) Arn calls for the DDT, but outruns Hugh Morris. Arn DDTs him. Here comes Conan, but Arn knocks him from the apron. 
Jimmy Hart is pulled into the ring, but before Arn can DDT him, Sullivan hits him with a wooden chair that I think Bubba brought out. Because uh, Bubba's there, so I think oh, that's where the wooden chair came from. Yeah. Curtis wakes up enough to count the three, and Kevin Sullivan wins this one, and only now does Mongo and his Halliburton show up. <laughs> Thanks, you, Mongo. Yeah, maybe quit worrying about Benoit and what he's doing and just do your fucking job. Speaking of, why was Curtis like, oh, I'm going to count a pin anyway, even though I was clearly attacked by a wrestler <laughs> that should have been a disqualification and there's wooden chair parts all over the place well at the there's very, eight guys in the ring at this point i like it at the very beginning of the match they were like throwing chairs at each other and jimmy hart was desperate to be like i need to get up on the apron yeah. to be distracting him yeah. but it didn't work like the referee could see it <laughs> yeah like from the very beginning these rules were fucked the Dungeon of Doom talk their uh, the Dungeon of Doom talks their shit on the way out with Sullivan promising Benoit that he's next, and we go to commercial. We come back to Steinerized, and out comes Rick Steiner along with brother Scott. We see Sting watching from the rafters. Sting waters to where the cameras can't see him; like it seems like he's coming towards the ring, but he's just out of view for a moment. Oh. The announcers remind us that it was two weeks ago when Sting handed Rick a baseball bat, and when Rick was going to whack him in the back. Uh, Scott intervened instead, and Sting bailed. The crowd chants for Sting, but nobody shows up, and Randy Anderson, David Penser, and the Steiners mill about the ring. The crowd suddenly goes crazy, and the guys in the ring point, but the cameras are unable, apparently, are apparently unable to find the Stinger. Finally they do, and he comes down through the crowd and into the ring. But the announcers are confused because he doesn't have a bat with him, but then seconds later, from a different camera angle, he suddenly does... Uh, maybe a fan gave it to him, hypothesizes Tony. Yeah, that's a good theory. As Sting climbs over the barricade, the camera suddenly cuts to a different Sting also hopping over the barricade. What? That's why the bat appeared. We were seeing two different Stings, and I love the way they filmed it. That was really fun. It was like a little mystery that lasted 15 seconds. But it was just, it was like, oh, there's Sting. Oh, weird, he has a bat now. That And the announcers are making this big deal to point out yeah. he didn't just have a bat. And then when you finally get that one camera angle and notice that it's it's two guys both out there, it's like, that was really fun. I thought that was a really, I don't know if that's exactly how they planned it. It seemed like it was, but I, I think that was excellent. Uh, the sting with the bat is clearly the fake sting once you get right. a good look at both of them. Yeah. That was the only thing, is it? it's fairly obvious that's yeah. a fake sting. Sure. Fake Sting sees the real Sting and holds the ropes apart from him, acting as if they're on the same side here. He's taken aback when the real Sting looks at him inscrutably. Tony hilariously and correctly guesses that the real Sting is the one on the left because he's, quote, acting a little bit darker than the one on the right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fake Sting puts his bat under the chin of the real Sting, and real Sting slips a bat down out of the sleeve of his duster. It rules when he does this. Yes, it does. That's the correct <laughs> response. <laughs> he knocks Fake Sting's bat away, where it's caught by Scott Steiner, which was fucking cool as hell. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, some of this feels like it could have been even better if it didn't have just, like, the one set uh, mm -hmm. camera angle. But, no, that was also really cool. They just, like, yoink out of the air. <laughs> Real Sting points his bat in Fake Sting's face. Then Real Sting gives his bat to Rick Steiner and turns his back. The fake Sting, like, immediately picks up on his cue and uh, turns his back as well. He's like, ah, yeah, we're doing this now. That was cool <laughs> what he did last time. The Steiners pause, and real Sting does a scorpion death drop on fake Sting. Rick tosses the Stinger his bat, 
and Sting leaves with the Steiners standing over the downed NWO Sting in the ring. The announcers read this as a message of rejection from Sting to Eric Bischoff in the NWO. They point out that we haven't heard Sting speak in three months, and we go to commercial. I thought that segment was excellent. I loved it. I, uh, mm-hmm. If it wasn't clear, like I loved the way that they came down, and it was, it was two guys. I loved uh, the bat dropping out of the sleeve. I loved the way Scott Steiner picked up the one that got hit like mm-hmm. right out of the air. Just a really, really fun segment that I loved. Yeah, and I kind of had low expectations because I felt like they kind of did this angle already. Yes. But then they upped the ante with the second sting, which was also like, hey, remember that there is an NWO sting right. still? We haven't really abandoned that. So Yeah. Um, and I just... I don't know the motivations for the NWO sting. <laughs> yeah. But I just like it because he's just goofy. He's out there to slip on a banana peel yeah. each and every week, and it's very fun. And he's just like, all right, I set up this trap, but there's no way it's going to backfire on me, the person that set it up, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly where this is going between him and the Steiners at this point yet, besides like just a lot of like posturing, but... I want to see I want to see more. After a commercial, the NWO's music plays and out comes Hogan, the Giant, Vincent, Ted and Elizabeth. And Christ, I had forgot about reluctant NWO uh, member Elizabeth. Right. Uh it just sucks. I hate it. DiBiase <laughs> <laughs> yes. has the mic first and he introduces Hogan and demands the crowd and demands the crowd's respect for Hollywood. That's right. Get all those spotlights. On Hollywood Hogan, show him the respect of the superstar that he is, of the icon of professional wrestling that he is. And Rowdy Roddy Piper, listen up. We know you're in the building. Oh, my. And Hollywood's got something to say to you. All right, Piper. All right, Piper. We've all seen you, brother. We know you're in the back. They know he's not so here. So come on out, Piper. I he, didn't see him. Let's get this thing over with. Come yeah, on out. He's doing the same thing Piper did last week. He knows Piper's not here. That's oh, what he knows. Way, or he'd be on him hip, right now. Piper, with that bad plastic hip, he's going to take a while. Don't be impatient, but I know he'll come out here. He's a man's man with a killed on. You know, there's a little history with Hollywood, the wrestling world, in Pensacola. You know, I started here. I started right here. This is like my hometown. Yeah, right. Piper came out here last week by himself. But you know the difference between me and Roddy Piper in his hometown of Charlotte? He had to tell him that he started there. He had to make him remember that skinny little kid that wrestled. But in my hometown, you guys know that when I started, excuse me, brother, but I was beating up guys like Andre the Giant when I first started. But you know, come on, Piper. Hey, wait a second. Vince, I don't care where he's hiding. Dig him out of his hole. Get him out here. I'm going to bust him up. Yeah, go warm up the limo. He's not going after him. We may never see Vincent again. But you know again. something? Piper and Ric Flair in Charlotte. 
Boy, that flair is really great, isn't he? He's got, I mean, he used to have Elizabeth. He used to have the other woman. <laughs> and you know what? He used to have the belt, but he doesn't have that anymore. I mean, I mean, Ric Flair is really great, isn't he? And you know something? With that bad shoulder of Ric Flair's and that bad hip of Piper's, you know something, Trillionaire Ted? I could beat both of them up at the same time. Oh, my. <laughs> they know that. That's why let's just get Piper out here, get it over with. Come on out, Piper. Elizabeth if, don't look too happy. Well, if Piper was in the building, he wouldn't send out Eric Bischoff. You know something? It's unbelievable how this NWO thing is just taking over the whole world. Liz, show them. Even Liz has seen like, show them how much you love me. Kiss me right here. Uh, show them that the old has-beens like the Macho Man were nothing. Come on, show them. Hey. That was reluctant. Told ya. Who's he trying? I know the Macho Man in his wheelchair has got to love that. Hogan Piper. He's flipped. The skinny little kid that you are that still has to go all over the world and tell people that, yes, I was a mid-level card wrestler. I jumped on the bandwagon with Hulk Hogan a long time ago, and I had my moment in the sun. Well, Piper, get out here right now, oh, and you can have your moment one more time. What? Piper was here, he'd be out here. Yeah, he'd be all over it. He'd have been here Boy, a long time am ago. I ever surprised. Guess what? Hollywood maniacs, Mr. Piper just ran out the back oh. door as I came in the front door. What a man. You know something? Piper, that does it. I'm not going to be nice to you. You talk about not wanting any help. Well, brother, when you get in the ring with me, you coward, on the 29th, you, like that stupid old crippled man, Ric Flair with a bad shoulder, you, Piper, like that washed-up macho man in his rocking chair, and you, Piper, with that gimped-up hip, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, and you're going to end up in that long, long line of old, broken-down, wannabe, ex-challenger brother. Piper makes me sick, Trillionaire Ted. And since he's ran from the building, and probably him and Flair are shaking in their boots together like the cowards that they are, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you want, NWOites. I'm going to entertain you. Hollywood style. With his goons around him, remember Go Piper. Go ahead, Hollywood. Let yeah. him have it. Remember Piper came it's out here. DiBiase addresses Piper, claiming that they know he's in the building. Hogan claims that they've all seen Piper, and they all know he's in the back. And Shivani only now finally says they know he's not here. Right. So it's like all, the show has basically got like a uh, half hour left before they finally admit you're not seeing Roddy Piper tonight. Mm-hmm. Hogan calls out Piper, who of course doesn't show. Hogan sits in a chair and waits, an echo of Piper's promo last week. Hogan says it must just be taking Piper a while because of his plastic hip. Hogan says that he has a history in Pensacola and says that he started his career there. He says 
it's like his hometown. Oh. Again, echoing Piper's promo from last week. I like that it shows that he was actually watching last week, even though he wasn't there. Now, sort of like Piper's promo, it's not actually true. Hogan got started in the Tampa area where he grew up, which is a full seven hours away. Like, they're both in Florida, but Same it is... Same state, though. <laughs> but they are not really close <laughs> at all. Seven. Like, if seven I drive hours. seven hours from here, I'm in Canada, so... <laughs> right. So we're Canadian now. <laughs> we're your favorite Nitro Canadian bar- podcast. <laughs> Uh, but, again, it's about as true as Piper claiming that Charlotte was his hometown, even though he was from Canada, mm-hmm. and even though he was, like, a way bigger draw in Portland and the the West Coast than he was in the Southeast. So, yeah. like, this is this is as fair as Piper's promo was, for sure. Hogan says that Piper had to remind the folks in Charlotte that he was the skinny kid who used to wrestle there. But in Hogan's hometown, everyone knows that he started out there beating up guys like Andre the Giant. Uh, it's great heel hypocrisy. To be like, he has to remind you that he's from there, but not me, even though the thing he just did was remind everyone that he's from there. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just such great, uh, obvious hypocrisy. I love shit like that. Hogan directs Vince to go dig up Piper and get him out there. Hogan then says that Flair is really great, isn't he? He used to have Elizabeth, Woman, and the belt, but now he doesn't have any of them anymore. Oh. Hogan says that with Flair's bad shoulder and Piper's bad hip, Hogan could beat them both up at the same time. Are we getting a handicap match now? Oh, God. Hogan puts over the NWO and demands that Liz kiss him to show how much she loves the NWO. She pecks him on the cheek, with Shivani claiming that it was reluctant, and I'm not... And I'm sure it was supposed to be... But because Liz is such a shitty actress, she's clearly smiling the entire time she does it. Right. <laughs> she's like giggling like a schoolgirl. They're like, oh, she's miserable. Look how much she hates it. Right. It's like, I know she's supposed to hate it, but Liz sucks, you guys. <laughs> what you, whatever you need her to do, she's going to give you the opposite. Yeah. Hogan says that he must. Hogan says that must be angering the macho man off in his wheelchair. Uh, Either Hogan not giving a shit about Randy not being signed to WCW, or perhaps a sign that Randy is coming back sometime soon. Hmm. DiBiase whispers something to Hogan, and Hogan says he just got told that Piper ran out the back door when he was coming in the front door. (laughs) Hulk says that Piper claims he didn't want any help, uh, referring to, like, Piper turning down the horsemen. But when they face off on the 29th, Piper, like that old man Ric Flair in his bad shoulder, and like that old washed-up macho man in his rocking chair, Hogan's going to tear him limb from limb. Piper will be in the line of old, broken-down, wannabe ex-challengers. Great line. Great line. I mean, I don't like burying Flair and Macho Man as old, but like they are old, and you can't pretend that they're not, really. Plus, it's good, uh, more hypocrisy from Hogan to be like, these guys are old and broken down. Right. Hogan decides to entertain the crowd Hollywood style and poses and gyrates while the NWO music plays. <laughs> gyrates. Heenan gets in a reference to Hogan's Rocky Three appearance, saying that we definitely just saw Thunderlips. Mm-hmm. In the flesh, baby. After a commercial, we still hear the NWO music because when we come back, the Outsiders are making their way to the ring for their non-title match against the Faces of Fear who come to the ring accompanied by Jimmy Hart. The Outsiders take it to the faces right away with Hall and Meng in the ring and Nash and the Barbarian outside. Meng gets the better of Hall and tries to come off the ropes, but he's tripped by Nash, who gets cl- but he's tripped by Nash and clotheslined by Hall. Hall goes for the Outsiders' edge, but Barbarian boots him and is then booted by Nash. All four men brawl in the ring and suddenly Bubba runs down. 
Shivani has only just stated that Bubba is a member of the Dungeon of Doom when Bubba punches Meng, joining the NWO. No. Boy, Wall Street last week and Bubba this week. I don't know what to say. Cream of the crop. (laughs) Now Sullivan runs the ring and Bubba punches him. Conan is there to brawl with the NWO. Morris, too. The NWO in the dungeon fight. The giant, the original defector to the NWO, runs to join the fracas. Then Vincent, Bagwell, Wall Street, and Six. Suddenly, the WCW guys run out. Regal, Psychosis, Chavo. Chono is now out for the NWO. Jerry Flynn and David Sammartino are out for WCW in what would be, were this real, very stupid career moves. <laughs> right. You just showed up. The vice president of the company is in the NWO. Uh-huh. They dominate everyone. The champion is in the NWO. This is your time, guys. <laughs> they really uh, made a tactical mistake. Ice Train walks out with Scott Norton behind him. Suddenly, Norton attracts Ice... Attracts Ice Train. Suddenly, Norton attacks Ice Train. And though it's a little unclear at first because they were recently feuding... Uh, that is meant to be him joining the NWO. Right. Uh, I was confused at first because I was like, well, that's just the guy who he was last fighting with. But yeah. Yeah, indeed, he's attacking a WCW wrestler. Now Mongo and Arn run out. Ray's here. Eaton, Malenko. The crowd erupts as real Sting marches down the aisle. Shivani confirms it's the real Sting, which is kind of funny because normally the announcers are completely unable to tell yeah. which guy is Sting and which is just a guy in makeup. It seems like they're just trying to help the fans out yes. at home where it's like, listen, we're not doing this again. <laughs> right. It's the real Sting. Sting walks through the men in the ring, attacking nobody. They kind of part like uh, the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Arn grabs Sting and tries to chop him, but Sting ducks and punches the enforcer. Mongo then attacks Sting, so he takes it to Mongo. Ray jumps on his back, so Sting dumps him to the mat and leaves. So Sting only fought with WCW guys, but he only retaliated to people who attacked him first. Right, and it seemed it seemed like a a thing where he was going to come out. I would think with the intention of attacking the NWO, but WCW people are not trusting him. And once it was like, okay, now Ray, just a random guy's attacking me. He's like, fuck this. I'm not going to get into this argument. I'm just going to leave. This is not my scene anymore. Yeah, the ring is full of dudes fighting, but the show ends despite the protestations of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, I thought that angle was pretty good. Yeah. It seemed like kind of a go-home angle rather than uh, two weeks out, but, like, it kind of got everyone out there. It made the stakes kind of, you know, clear. It's NWO versus everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, it heightened the stuff with Sting. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good closing segment. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was also kind of a mess. There was a little bit too many people out there. Yeah, and maybe, which... maybe keep San Martino and Flynn in the back. Like, that doesn't make a ton of narrative sense that they have a bunch of... Uh, like, maybe San Martino, because he's just going to be, like, a little baby-faced guy. But, like, mm-hmm. Flynn is a heel. What purpose would he have to be out here? Yeah. I, I didn't like that at all. I, I just... I like the way that the the part with Sting played out, where, it was kind of he, where he was attacked first. He was just retaliating, but is against someone that has a stable. So then he has to get this other guy. Yeah. And then b- before you know it, then someone like Ray's probably thinking, oh, he's NWO, so I'm going to attack him. Right. And Sting's like, I'm not going to try to fight everyone at once and explain who I am, so I'm just going to get the fuck out of here. Like, uh, I thought that played off really well. I am I mean, I, I think if you're a person that was there at the show, yeah. it wouldn't be very clear about the that like Bubba 
or Norton are in the NWO now. Yeah. I'm sure they'll clear it up next week when you see them with the rest of the NWO. Now that we have like, I feel like this is now we're getting to the point where it's starting to get really bloated. The NWO is, I I didn't realize it was still in 96 when it was getting like this, but, but like the, when you do it occasionally, like the big brawls and shows are always fun. Yeah. You know, just as long as it's not like an every week thing, yeah. which I believe might happen later on. But um, So um, what did you think of, of Nitro overall? Um, I thought it was good. I mean, it was... I feel like that there there's definitely matches that are happening at Starcade that we're kind of missed out on. Sure. Um, it's weird to have like these gaps of time in their U.S. title tournament. They probably should have just started a little bit later to make sure there was a match every week. Yeah, um, that's true. I also realized when looking at Starcade earlier today that um, they're going to finish the women's championship tournament at Starcade. Oh God, I forgot that and was that even is, happening. And that is just completely off the radar. Right. Um, but there's like there's compelling matches. I think face a real faces of fear versus outsiders. I I think if it was a little bit later on. In not in 1996, it would make it like a no DQ match now, yeah, or a street fight or something that would make that a little bit more appealing. Um, and hopefully next week, I mean, I don't really know how it plays out. Hopefully next week we'll have a a nitro with Hogan and Piper there. Yeah, that would be my assumption at least. But I thought, and I thought for the most part, it played off pretty well with having the NWO announcers for the first hour. It doesn't make any sense for them to give it up, though. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, but I thought for the most part they did a good job, and it, especially if that's a preview of possible things to come. Um, and it'll be, I think, I think there's like more like interesting ways that directions they can go with like this NWO pay per view, mm-hmm. especially if the NWO are like, we don't really care about your Starcade. It's about our pay per view, which is the next pay per view. Yeah. If they had like that sort of approach, where they're kind of like fucking with the pay-per-view yeah um which i i don't believe that's what they end up doing <laughs> but, um no i mean i i don't feel like there was really any matches that were just like awful you know yeah uh, yeah um, i agree i think like um you know the stuff that was on the low end would be like chono and jericho it was fine yeah. it was it was short enough to like it never pissed you off right um the benoit San Martino stuff, or excuse me, the Malenko San Martino match wasn't fantastic, but it was fine. They did some nice chain wrestling. Yeah, Just was, the ending was kind of fucked. But yeah, it was like three minutes. Yeah. You can't get too mad about a three minute match. Yeah, whereas um, we had an incredible opener, like just a great opener for the show with yeah. Psychosis and Regal. Um, some good promos, but not like uh, not like last week where there were, holy shit, where there's so many promos last week. Yeah. I didn't feel quite as like weighed down by constant talking, even though there was a lot of talking. Um, DiBiase and Bischoff were fine on commentary. It wasn't as bad as I think maybe it could have been mm-hmm. um, when those guys came out. So, yeah, I thought this was a really good Nitro episode. Uh, it made me excited for Starcade, advanced some storylines that I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this this was a solid, this was a, a good B to B plus entry of, of Nitro. Definitely a good one to check out. Yeah. Uh, well, there's just one thing to do then before we sign off, and that is talk about our... Segment of the night and our MVP. Let's do segment of the night first. I'm going to go first. And my segment of the night was uh, the Sting Steiner segment. I was. 
I went on quite a bit during that segment about all the reasons I like it, so I won't yeah. drone on more. I won't repeat myself, but I just thought that was excellent. Really well done. Well done stuff. What about you? What was your segment of the night? Um, well, for a segment of the night, I will go with a match, and I will go with a match that started off the show of Stephen Regal versus Psychosis. Um, I, th- I think it set a good pace uh, for the for the rest of the show of being like really high energy. Yeah. I really don't feel like anyone showed up today and just kind of mailed it in. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, again, I mean, I think the Chono Jericho was the weak part of the show, yeah. but even so it wasn't that bad. Um, no. So I'll give mine to that opening match. And who was your MVP? Um, MVP. It's a little bit tougher. I, I have to think about it for a second. All right, I'll give my MVP first. My MVP was Steven Regal. Um, him and Psychosis were both. You know what? Co-MVP. There you go. Fuck it. I'm allowed to do yeah, that. Fuck it. <laughs> Who's going to stop me? <laughs> you? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, um, yeah, they were both great. So I'm going to give them co-MVP. So what I'll do is I'll give an MVP because um, I'll just give it to four people. And I'll give it to uh, the Steiners and both Stings. Ah, sure. For the execution of that segment. Because, again, I really like this segment. I went with the match because you... Yeah. It just... I feel like we both used our MVP as consolation prizes for our second favorite segments. Right. <laughs> yeah, because what, what's the fun in just a green? And just yes. Because like, there, there's plenty of weeks of Nitro where it's just like, uh, best match is Ric Flair's match, and MVP <laughs> is Ric Flair, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I thought that um, I thought that was really well executed for that segment. Again, especially since they pretty much already did that segment. Yeah. And I'm not even sure where this uh, is progressing to. But they added the element of the NWO Sting. Yep. And I know previously when we introduced Sting with the bat and realizing that he's really good at effectively using the bat. Yeah. And you saw even more like taken out of his sleeve was fucking badass yeah that, that was, was cool that was shit. some cool shit there um i also wanted to uh make note and give a an lvp for least valuable player Ooh. and which i want to give specifically to eric bischoff uh <laughs> for the masahiro chono <laughs> yes impersonation because that's i just i mean obviously any sort of like racist stereotype like that it's very not welcome well the thing people will come at you with not that I mean, people aren't going to, I think our fans are kind of aware where we stand on this stuff. Yeah. But what where people will come is like, you know, it was a different time. Fucking, I was alive in 1996. Yeah. You couldn't just do racist jab. I mean, you could. Yeah. yeah. Clearly he didn't get fired, but like we knew what racism was. Right. I hate when people do that shit. I hate, like I've seen it anything, um, uh, when Orton said the n-word on a gaming thing. Yeah. And people were like, look, he's an older guy. And I was like, he's in his fucking thirties. He's yeah. as old as I am. My yeah. whole life I've known that you don't say the N-word. Right. It's not hard. It's not new. It's not like halfway through my life people were like, hey, you know that word you say all the time? Can't say that anymore. It's fucking clear. If you're in your 30s, you've always known. Don't yeah. say the N-word. To Kill a Mockingbird as a whole speech about how you shouldn't say it. That book was written forever ago. <laughs> right. Fucking assholes. Well, it's like if you heard like instead if it was Cowboy Bob Orton, it would still not be cool. <laughs> right. And that's yes. his dad. Like it's yeah. a whole generation before. Yeah. So don't give me that shit where like, well, 1996 was a different time and just being super racist was fine. It fucking wasn't. Yeah. And I mean, 
and there's like a, a, just another added thing. This is not this is obviously not the most important thing because like the the race racial stereotypes is an important thing. Yeah. But he's in theory supposed to be his friend. He's supposed <laughs> to be yes, a, yeah. he's supposed to be a cohort of Master Yuchono. Yeah. So you couldn't even say like he's just picking on him. Right. Because he shouldn't be picking on him. Right. Like there's nothing acceptable about that. So like just hearing that, I was just like. I was like, seriously? Yeah. And that's why I just feel like there's, I want to do a, an, a least valuable player just to note that, like, how just aghast I was at that. Yeah. Get his ass. Yeah. Drag him, king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, be sure and check us out uh, back here in this week's space. In this week's space. <laughs> this weak-ass space. Weak-ass space we created. <laughs> In this space, in a week, for Worldwide, where we'll let you know what happened on Raw tonight, who won the ratings, uh, and we'll talk about all the news that's going on in the Observer and the Torch. Uh, we'll oh, do yeah, yeah, because um, because there's the whole thing with uh, Shawn Michaels costing Brett the title match, which is obviously leading up to that WrestleMania match they're going to have. <laughs> right, yep. So I'm looking forward to that buildup <laughs> of the match that's going to happen. So we'll be back here. Uh, we're the big boys. You know what they do, Dave? They play. (laughs) 20 years of Nitro. He turned his back on the people. He had tried. He turned his back on the people that made him. And that's WCW. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. What does this mean? He comes up, sneaks up behind guys, and trapping them. What is he doing?